Pinder and Steinberg continues. Brought to you by Glenmore Audi on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. It was actually a very big night of news and big games in the NHL last night. Injuries, there were some upsets, more COVID-19 news that could maybe affect actual NHL games coming up, as Riley mentioned, in trending now. But all of it, uh, we'll get to it all in just a moment here. But of course, we're going to start with the story here at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome where Pinder and Steinberg is coming to you live from today in the Better Business Bureau Hot Stove Lounge. I'm Logan Gordon along with you for the next hour. Pat Steinberg joins the show at 2 o'clock. The news here from Calgary Flames practice, no Noah Hannafin, the defender, only played two minutes in the Flames 5-3 loss to the Vegas Golden Knights on Sunday. Took an awkward-looking hit uh, as he went to pinch for a puck. Milan Lucic lays a hit on Vegas's Brandon Peary, and Noah Hannafin is on the opposite side of it. We find out from Coach Jeff Ward today that it is concussion protocol for Hannafin. He did not practice with the team today. The good news for Flames fans, though, Travis Hamannick is back at practice again with his team today. No contact jersey is gone. He's a regular participant in practice. He was a part of of the D pairings, which look a little bit different now that Noah Hannafin wasn't there. The other good news uh, was we got to have a media avail today, and uh, speaking to the media, Travis did say that uh, he hopes that he's ready to go for Thursday's matchup against his former team, the New York Islanders. So should the Flames be without Noah Hannafin for a period of time here, uh, it sounds like the return of Travis Hamannick is much more imminent. Let's take a look at those D pairings uh, today because they were shuffled up with Travis Hamannick coming back in, Noah Hannafin coming out, and all three, excuse me, two of the three pairings uh, now changed up significantly. So you have the captain, Mark Giordano, uh, playing with Rasmus Anderson. A pairing we saw in Hamannick's first season with Calgary, him with TJ Brody, uh, Hamnick, the right shot defenseman, uh, playing with Brody on the left side. Gustafson and Forbert stay together, and your extra pairing of Oliver Shillington and Michael Stone was the fourth today. So the D pairings could look a little bit different coming into the game against the New York Islanders. Of course, still a coach's decision on whether or not Hamnick's going to play Thursday. We still have another day to go before we find out uh, if Noah Hannafin is that much closer and the results of him going through concussion protocol. The rest of the lines staying the same for the Flames as far as the forwards go. Uh, just uh, Jankowski and Reeder filling in on the right side of the fourth line. It was a busy night in the NHL last night. I mentioned it to you. The Flames were off. They didn't get much help in the out-of-town scoreboard. The big game that everyone was watching last night, Riles, was the Vegas Golden Knights and the Edmonton Oilers, the battle of the top two teams in the Pacific. Uh, it was labeled as a big game. Edmonton wanted to go into this one, and the only thing we said yesterday was just, just don't be a three-point game. That's all we want. Just finish it in regulation. If someone could do that, that would be great. Before we even get to the game, we find out that Connor McDavid is out for Edmonton, dealing with illness, uh, wasn't going to play in this one, so a huge loss for Edmonton immediately off the start. 
Uh, this one does go to overtime. The exact last thing Flames fans wanted to hear. Uh, the Golden Knights get another game winner from Shea Theodore. Uh, three on three overtime is one of my favorite things in hockey, and it was absolutely wild last night between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Edmonton Oilers. Back and forth, Marc-Andre Fleury makes a huge stop on Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Vegas goes the other way. They're able to control the puck, and eventually Shea Theodore, with a bit of a knuckleballer, uh, gets past Miko Koskinen for the victory. Uh, so Vegas laying uh, a pretty good beating on the two Alberta teams. The scores might not have looked that way, but if you uh, watched the Calgary game, you watched some of the Edmonton game last night, you would know that Vegas was certainly the better team in both of those games. We'll get a more of an inside look at what happened last night and a look at the uh, Edmonton Oilers going forward. Our friend Reed Wilkins from 630 Ched uh, in Edmonton going to join us in the next segment to go through all of that. Uh, Riles, what did you think of the Golden Knights and the Oilers last night? Well, it's like you said, it, it Vegas was definitely the better team. Koskinen played well again. That's his second straight really good start for the Oilers. And, yeah, they didn't really have any any business being in that game. And, you know, Leon Dreisaitl takes a two-and-a-half-minute shift in overtime there and can't yeah, quite can't get you. back on the back check, and yep. it uh, ends up in his net. So it's a tough one for the Oilers, but a uh, tough one for everyone that isn't Vegas or Edmonton in the division, really, with that three-point game. Yeah, the, the, the likes of Vancouver and Calgary certainly uh, don't look at that one with a happy outcome either way. Uh, you mentioned Miko Koskin in there, Riles. He had 45 saves uh, in the loss, so tough one for him. The Golden Knights didn't look like they were a team coming off of a back-to-back. -back. They played an outstanding game and continued to do it without Mark Stone. Uh, so look out for them when that one, uh, when Mark Stone maybe uh, re-enters the lineup for them. And tough for the Oilers that last minute to find out that McDavid's not going to play. So, uh, look, they get a point, move on. Uh, you would like the Flames to do the same when they played Vegas, but it didn't happen, and Vegas looks like they're uh, in the driver's seat, at least right now, moving forward for first place in the Pacific Division. Some other news and notes that caught my eye last night. Uh, Riles, the other big game we were watching was the Arizona Coyotes, who have just been in a free fall of late. Uh, they just can't seem to, to figure it out. They made the big trade for Taylor Hall earlier on in the year uh, in an absolutely massive game against the Winnipeg Jets last night. I'm trying to keep up with everything as the scores were going last night. And uh, I look, and quickly I see Arizona out to a 2 nothing lead. And you got to think maybe they finally got the offense. It was a huge game. Things were going well. Uh, and then Winnipeg turned on the uh, the Jets for themselves. No pun intended nice. on that one. And uh, eventually got rid of that uh, Arizona lead. Good time for Cody Eakin, the Winnipeg native, uh, and a trade deadline acquisition by the team to come uh, and get his first of the season. After Nick Ehlers and Tucker Pullman tied it up in the second period, Cody Eakin, 11-33 into the third, gives the Jets the lead. Uh, they wouldn't look back. Mark Scheifele puts the empty netter, his 29th of the season. Uh, and Connor Hellebuck, who we talked about yesterday in the one, uh, as a potential Vezina candidate, uh, shut the door after a shaky first period. So now the Jets uh, take the Western wildcard lead 
uh, and their third straight win, uh, eking the game-winning goal for them. So well worth the price of acquisition of a fourth-rounder from Vegas on that one. And then I mentioned uh, some upsets yesterday. They don't really – they're not huge playoff implications. The one uh, might matter for the Florida Panthers. We were joking around yesterday that the Leafs have been so bad and they haven't been able to put Florida away all season. Uh, well, things get a little bit tighter now as Florida picks up a huge 2-1 victory over the defending Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues, who have been red hot of late, 9-1 and in their last 10. Former hitman Chris Drager getting the start for Florida. He backstops them to the win, and don't look now, but the Toronto Maple Leafs just one point up on the Florida Panthers for third spot in the Atlantic Division. I'm not sure anybody wants that third spot because it likely means you're going to see Tampa Bay or Boston, but still a huge, huge victory for Florida, and now they are right back behind the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, other surprises, the Sabres got past Washington 3-2 in a shootout last night, and, and the Kings beat the Avs. Uh, the only one of notice of that, other than the fact that Colorado and St. Louis both lost after being so red hot, was that Nathan McKinnon, leaves this game for Colorado with a lower body injury. He did not return. We don't have an update on his status yet, but Colorado already been dealing with injuries all year long uh, and probably can't be without Nathan McKinnon for a long period of time as they're trying to lock down first in the Central Division, and then obviously the playoffs are where it matters right now for Colorado, so you don't want to be without Nathan McKinnon. And the last piece of news, you've heard it from Riley and Trending Now, and uh, it's been the news of the day. I'm sure you guys talked about it on Hockey Central. But uh, a statement last night from uh, Santa, uh, the county of Santa Clara where the San Jose Sharks play um, and their public health department uh, prohibiting public and private mass gatherings uh, till the end of March. So the Sharks came out with a statement not long after that. I'll read it out to you now. This is a statement from the Sharks Sports and Entertainment Group. SAP Center at San Jose is aware of the County of Santa Clara's Public Health Department order to prohibit public and private mass gatherings through the end of March. We will adhere to the mandated guidelines. No events are scheduled at SAP Center until Tuesday, March 17th. We'll be reviewing each scheduled event due to take place for the rest of the month and provide an update in the coming days. We appreciate the understanding and patience of our fans, guests, and partners during this unprecedented time. I don't know what that means. Uh, lots of talk here at the Saddle Dome, of course, as media availability was changed up today for us here at the Saddle Dome and with the Flames, but now an actual area where an NHL team is scheduled to play games this month uh, isn't going to let uh, gathering the 17,000 people at a hockey game come together. So what does that mean for the San Jose Sharks? Are they going to play in an empty arena? We've heard word of perhaps a neutral zone, uh, neutral uh, site game is going to be an option here. Um, but, you know, what felt like a problem maybe in China and Japan, certainly now making its way to North America, and we'll start to see the effects of that uh, probably first in San Jose, and we'll see where it goes from there. The Flames still with a road trip to go next week as they make their way onto the East Coast. Uh, for three games against the New York area teams. What uh, what did you think, Riles? I know that you had it in trending now. Uh, a big statement from San Jose and Santa Clara. Things getting a little bit more serious out there, uh, especially with uh, the Sharks not able to have fans at that SAP center. Yeah, it's definitely tough. I mean, you never want to see empty buildings in the NHL or anything like that. But, I mean, one option is to move 
their home games to a place like Saskatoon or something like that. There's been no confirmed cases in Saskatchewan yet, and uh, I believe the the building operator, I want to say, in Saskatoon said that they could make it work with the Blades playoffs and the Rush games and stuff like that, so that's always an option, but I think more realistically they'll just play in an empty building for the next few home games, but it's uh, it's tough to see for sure. Yeah, it's and it's tough. It's a bit of a weird situation that we're in now because, not, you know, it's one thing to, to say to go to a neutral site, but you're right, scheduling conflicts, all these sort of things. Can you bring fans to the neutral site where there's less, or do they even want to start, you know, going into all of that? Um, we got a release from the WHL, and we heard uh, the and, uh, Hockey Central, excuse me, that, you know, some teams over in Europe are just going to cancel the playoffs. Uh, it sounds like in the WHL playoffs, you're not going to see the traditional handshake line at the end of a series. You're not even going to see guys giving each other high fives. You're all going to have your own personal water bottles. Uh, things are changing really fast in this situation, and it certainly reached the pro level in San Jose. Logistically, I, I don't know how you make it work. Maybe an empty building is the way to go. It seems to be the, the quick choice for uh, European soccer leagues. Uh, and they certainly know how to draw fans to those events. So we'll we'll see if that's the, the route the NHL is taking. But it certainly seems like it's going to be a day-to-day thing. Uh, but pretty scary thing to consider that uh, there might not be fans in, in the stands for at least, I, I believe, three home games for San Jose uh, still left in the month of March. And, uh, you know, I heard today the chatter on the Dome is, Really, what what's going to come in the next few weeks, even past this right now, is teams look to the future and try to determine what's going to happen, you know, in the coming weeks and months of this, and how it's going to impact uh, what we do here, and you know, the media availability. The first one, uh, we'll see how it continues to spread throughout the NHL. You're listening to the Pinder and Steinberg Show. I'm Logan Gordon filling in for the week for Ryan Pinder, who is joining the Toronto Blue Jays down in Dunedin, Florida. Uh, for their spring training, the Jays in action today in some spring training leagues action. So we'll see what uh, if Ryan was able to make it down for that one. We'll be hearing from him live. He'll also have some uh, set pieces for us. All thanks to our friends at WestJet, uh, part of a fan uh, trip down there. Ryan, lucky enough to head back to Florida again. So we'll hear from him later in the day as well. We went through a, a ton of NHL news there. I'll replay it for earlier. Uh, that the Flames practice today. No Noah Hannafin. He's in concussion protocol. Travis Hamannick back with the team practicing on a pairing with TJ Brody. Uh, we saw Rasmus Anderson move up to the first pair with Mark Giordano. Hamannick hopeful to get back in the lineup. He feels he's ready to play Thursday when we welcome in the New York Islanders. I mentioned that Vegas Oilers game was a good one last night, and Vegas made a statement coming through Alberta with back-to-back wins. We'll talk to the man who watched it live yesterday, Reed Wilkins, our friend from 630 Ched, going to help us break down the Oilers and Golden Knights from last night and take a look at what's remaining for what looks like the most likely opponent in the first round for the Calgary Flames. It could be a battle of Alberta. We'll get Reed's thoughts on that and more coming up next on Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg, Calgary Sports Talk in the Afternoon. Brought to you by Glenmore Audi, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Well, the Vegas Golden Knights had a pretty successful run through the province of Alberta after taking down the Flames by a 5-3 score. They go into Edmonton and take down the Edmonton Oilers 3-2 in overtime. 
And the man that we want to chat with about everything Oilers, our good friend Reed Wilkins from 630 Ched, joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Hi, Reed. How are you? I'm yearning for some uh, Atlas Pizza. Gonna have to get some ordered for my show tonight. If I order it now, should be there for <laughs> six o'clock. Absolutely, it would be. Uh, how you feeling after last night? That's a pretty good Vegas team that uh, rolled through Alberta. Uh, good Vegas team, very solid, and uh, an Oilers team that has found a very interesting and not overly encouraging formula lately for winning games and getting points, and that is getting massively outshot and uh, still often being able to get something out of the game. This has happened for, uh, well, the last week and a bit here. Last Saturday against the Jets, uh, the Oilers were pretty badly outshot. They uh, were badly outshot in Dallas, won that game as well. They were a little bit outshot in Chicago, lost the game. Uh, Badly outshot against Columbus on Saturday, won the game. And badly outshot last night. Uh, the shots were, uh, I believe, 22-3 at one point. The Oilers went 18 minutes and 18 seconds between shots from the first to the second period. So that's really the, the talk of the, the, the town right now is, A, how good the goaltender's been, and it's been both Smith, Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen during this run. So that's encouraging because you need your goalie to steal your games. There's no doubt about, no doubt about that. But just very little uh, offensive pressure for the Oilers either for entire games or large stretches of games over the past week and a half. So, you know, Dave Tippett talked today and then last night about there being a disconnect between the uh, the forwards and uh, and the defensemen, and the Oilers just haven't been able to pass the puck very well recently and sort of transition it out of their own end, and that's really allowed teams to keep the pressure on and keep piling up the shots. So, you know, good goaltending, always great, but... I don't know if you can rely on guys having 960 save percentages for the rest of the year. They're going to have to get it going at the other end. Yeah, you had it on Twitter last night that they were outshot 239 to 156 in their last six games, but have managed uh, a 4-1-1 record over those six games. Uh, how concerned are you that it's becoming a, a trend late in the season? And is it you know since the post-trade deadline that you know the style kind of changes in the NHL to? big boy hockey we learned that uh here in calgary last year specifically uh, and the oilers you know have a pretty full schedule with some big playoff teams you got to see vegas again uh later on in the month uh, how quickly do they need to get this turned around uh even though they're in a good spot in the pacific sitting second well i think the i mean first of all this being outshot is not new for the oilers and not being great five on five is not new it's it's new that the extent that it's happening, but the mm-hmm. Oilers are not a great five on five team. They're you know they're below average. Some games they're good five on five, and then they can jump on some weaker teams. But the Oilers are you know they obviously got two incredibly high scoring players and some other depth players that have been able to contribute. But generally, the Oilers' formula for success this season has been. Good goaltending, sometimes great goaltending, but most nights Smith or Costin have been at least as good as the other guy at the end of the rink, at the other end of the rink, and given the Oilers a chance to a chance to win. And then special teams, and you know the Oilers have the best power play, they have the second best special uh, uh, penalty killing, so that that's been absolutely outstanding. So what's happened now is their five on five play has dipped to be even worse than it has been for most of the season. And 
there aren't a lot of penalties being called. I mean, the Oilers didn't have a power play last night. Vegas only had two, so it's not like there was some wild discrepancy. We, but, uh, we only had one each here in the Vegas-Calgary game Sunday. Yeah, so this is the thing with the Oilers. The more penalties are called, really both for and against the Oilers, the better off they are. Like, if there was 10 power plays both ways... I think that would be great for the Oilers because they'd probably mm-hmm. score three or four in the power play and only give up one or two, right? So, yep. so I think that's that's an, another change as well. If if the whistles are getting put away here a little bit down the stretch, or the veteran teams know what they can get away with, I, I think that's going to hurt the team. So I think you know I I think they can play better five on five. We've seen it. Um, I, I don't expect that they're going to be outshot by you know twelve shots per game or whatever the average is for the rest of the season. I think that's going to pick up. But, you know, if there are fewer penalties being called and they're only getting, you know, one or two power plays a game instead of three or four, that's going to chip away at the goals against. I have to ask you, because, of course, the news before the game yesterday uh, was that Connor McDavid was going to miss uh, that game with an illness. Uh, doesn't sound like it's anything too serious. What are you hearing on that end? Well, he didn't skate again today. We just had Dave Tippett's availability, and Tippett said he came in this morning, saw the training staff, and I believe the phrase he used was he had a he had a bit of a workout. So he did something today, but he wasn't on the ice. So now we just, again, wait until tomorrow. And it's, uh, yeah, I mean, he didn't look very energetic against Columbus on Saturday. He scored a goal late in the third period, and they put him up on the Jumbotron, and I... You know, it's you see that big image of him, and I thought, oh man, he looks like he needs to go have sleep for a few days. So he's 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 under the weather. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, if if a player can play, he's he's going to want to play. So the fact that they kept him away yesterday, he must have really not been feeling well. So I think we just wait and see for tomorrow. And that's another storyline for Edmonton is you know they they brought in Ennis and Athanasiu at the deadline. Ennis has looked good in spurts. And uh, Athanasiu has kind of been playing more of a more of a depth role. He scored in his first game, hasn't been overly productive or dangerous since then. And Drysaitel, Yamamoto, and Nugent Hopkins have been really dangerous as a line. So they're still sort of. I mean, it's funny the the dialogue has gone from well, they need someone to play with Nugent Hopkins because Drysaitel and McDavid are often together, and now it's kind of like looking for someone to play uh, with, with with McDavid. Now against Columbus, they did put Nugent Hopkins up there with. Uh, with with McDavid, so I don't know if they will go back back to that tomorrow if McDavid is back. But that his health is one storyline, but who he plays with, so they mm-hmm. can try to have at least two dangerous lines. That's that's another thing to watch as the playoffs approach. Let's dive back in because my my next question for you was going to be about Tyler Ennis and uh, Andreas Athanasiu, and I'm curious about how you see the fit for those two. The games that I've seen. Uh, it's been a surprise to me, but Reed Tyler, Tyler Ennis has looked like the better player to me. Athanasiu uh, seems to have a, a propensity for taking lazy penalties, and for the wheels that we always hear about him having, he doesn't seem to use them nearly enough, and it, it seems like it just hasn't fit right just yet in Edmonton for Athanasiu. Yeah, Ennis has been the better of the two. He's been more effective. He's been, I mean, he's almost a little bit like Yamamoto. He's been tenacious. He's he's smart. He reads plays well. When he's played with McDavid, he doesn't just defer to McDavid and try to force the puck. He's willing to to shoot the puck in and forecheck. He's willing to you know to pass it to somebody else. You know, like he's he's been very good that way, and he's been more dangerous. Athanasiu, I you know when he when he came over, somebody called him an enigma, 
And I think we've seen that a little bit. We haven't seen a lot of bursts of speed. There's just been maybe a couple of times where it's really been on display. Um, you know, a couple of uh, turnovers in bad parts of the ice that, uh, that that hurt the team. And I think for him, now it's interesting with him because they gave up more to get him and he's an RFA at the end of the year. So I think they look at him as more of a long-term investment. Um so I think there's a little bit more patience with him. They've put him with uh, Shane and Archibald the last couple of games, who have been two very reliable players, five on five. So I think maybe they're hoping, okay, he's with these other two out guys that that take care of details. So maybe that makes it a little bit easier for him. But yeah, I, I think obviously there's a player there. I mean, you don't score 30 goals in the NHL by being a schlub. So yeah. there, there is something there. But we haven't really seen it, and I think the Oilers are are kind of hoping to to bring it out of him a little bit. I mean, look, obviously it's a, a disaster of a season in in uh, in Detroit, and so I think they're trying to bring him up to speed with some of the details they need here. The way the Oilers have been playing for for most of the year, in, in terms of defending and taking care of the front of the net and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting. I mean, if Ennis. I mean, they gave up a fifth rounder for Ennis, so not much. Mm-hmm. And maybe if he does well enough, you know, he earns himself, uh, a, you know, another one-year deal to stick around in in his hometown. But I think really with Athens and EU, there is a player that you would look at and say, okay, with his age and what he's been able to do in the NHL, at least that one year, maybe here's someone that if he isn't overly productive next year, they're willing to work with and, and, and bring along. Because I think he's the type of player they would love to have as a as a top six player for years to come potentially. I want us to go around uh, one more time back to the goaltenders because Miko Koskinen uh, was a, a star last night. I believe he was first star in the building, which it doesn't always happen in a loss. Uh, he certainly uh, stood on his head for plenty of portion of last night, and uh, it was interesting as I was getting ready to talk to you. Uh, the, the stat that surprised me the most was that the, the games played category between Miko Koskinen and Mike Smith at this point in the season is equal. With 38 games, and we're coming down to the final stretch here, and you know, it sounds like it's still a you know daily guessing game as to who gets the start or who runs with it. Uh, what's your take on it, Reed? Is it still up for grabs? It looks like the Oilers are well on their way to a playoff spot, and uh, what happens night one of a postseason game? Do you think who gets the start there for Edmonton? I don't know. And I, and I don't think the coaching staff knows. Yeah, it, it it really truly has been for the most part, day by day, and game by game. And for about the first five weeks of the season, both goaltenders were very good. Smith uh, was below average in November, and I would say outright poor in December. And Koskinen was much better. And then Koskinen got the win on New Year's Eve against the Rangers in a, in a crazy game where the Oilers were up 6 nothing, and then barely won 7-5 with an empty netter. And then Smith started four of the next five games on a road trip and was pretty good. And, I mean, he only has two regulation losses in 2020. But then having said that, you know, he got the win in Nashville, did fine. They won, that was the 8-3 game where they got five goals in five and a half minutes in the third period. Koskinen played the next night in Dallas and stole the game. So now... Now they're, uh, Smith got pulled in Chicago, not really on his play. It was a pretty poor game by the team, but still Costin came in and made all the saves he needed to, and then over 40 saves each of the last two games. It looks like it's going to be Smith tomorrow. I mean, I, I, you know, 
we, some people call it the starters net. I just go by whichever goalie is in the home team's net at practice, and Smith was there today. So I, I would think it would be him tomorrow against Winnipeg. And then I truly think it's day-by-day day and splitting up the back-to-backs. They have, they have uh, a busy schedule. They play Friday home, uh, Sunday morning in Philadelphia, and Monday night in Washington. So probably it goes back and forth over those games. And then they just see how it goes, depending on the matchup and whichever goalie looks like he's doing a little better. Like there, there really isn't a number one. And I, I mean, if you if you want to ask him about the playoffs, if I had to pick a goalie, I would say Mike Smith, just because of his experience and because of his previous experience with Tippett, which I think has uh, factored into how they've been used this season as well. But if you know if Koskinen is clearly hotter going into the postseason, then I also don't think like like I think if they're kind of equal for the playoffs, I think it would be Smith. If okay. Koskinen is clearly playing better, I don't think they would force Smith in there. I think they would say no, Miko's Miko's the guy right now. Like it's really been like that all year. It, and, and even when one goalie's been playing better, they still have often put the other goalie in every third or fourth game just to keep him ready and to give him an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, not surprising. And look, it's almost a similar situation to what we had uh, here in Calgary last year with Smith, and it was the the day in day out sort of storyline. And uh, Smith does have the experience and the uh, familiarity with Tippett, so that wouldn't be much of a surprise. And so I got two more for you here, Reed. And we've been talking a little bit of playoffs because uh, for once, both of our t- uh, teams that we cover are going to be in the postseason. And uh, word would have it that it looks like the most probable outcome would be that we see each other in the postseason round one, a battle of Alberta. My generation has never seen a playoff battle of Alberta. The teams have been up and down for as long as I can remember. Uh, any thought on, on what that would be like? Would that excite you? It seems to be a bit of a, a 50-50 split here. We'd be excited to see it, but we also uh, understand that our call-in shows and the text lines and everything here would probably blow up for the two-week period of uh, round one. Well, I think it would be great. I, I think it's long overdue. I think, you know, I wish we could have more all-Canadian matchups in the playoffs in general and for it mm-hmm. to be the Battle of Alberta, especially given what happened this season. I mean, it wasn't just yeah. sort of a, a mundane, you know, series of 3-1 games. So, I mean, there's I'm been... not exactly sure what you're talking about, Reid. I don't, I don't yeah. recall anything happening here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's been the, the, the genuine the genuine hatred is is back between the teams i mean it's not just uh it's not just lip service when they say they you know the one team wants to beat the other so i think for it to be a seven game series where they play every second day for two weeks you know i think that would be incredibly special and you're right it would be a treat for all the all the people of your uh, vintage a much younger vintage who who have never I wasn't experienced it, but... it like i i don't know if it would be you know, you never know if it would be as wild as it got in the regular season, but it would certainly have that edge to it already going in. And the players know the stakes are high and the fans are in such close vicinity to each other that that just adds fuel to it as well. I would I would love it if it, if it happened. Um, I mean, I guess if the Oilers wound up finishing higher in the standings, you know, maybe they would be a slight favorite. Um, but I think I think the teams are are pretty close overall, and it would be pretty fun to see them play in a series. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and last one for you, Reed, and I, I, I don't like to end on this. It's not a topic that we're used to covering. It's not fun for anybody to talk about, but uh, we live in a world that uh, has things bigger than sports happening in it right now, and uh, we heard the release from San Jose that it sounds like they're 
in a weird situation where they might either be playing neutral site games for the Sharks or in front of nobody uh, in San Jose. Uh, it's only really come, you know, generally pretty light here in Alberta where, you know, we're not allowed in the locker rooms and media avail is a little bit different than it was. But what do you make of the whole COVID-19 thing as it kind of interacts with our sports world moving forward here and, and just what the next little bit feels like for you? Because it feels like it's just a weird situation right now that no one really knows how to how to react to it yet. Well, I mean, you're right. It's, it's uh, constantly changing situation right i mean there's almost mm-hmm. hourly updates um i mean i think you know from from the whole point of view of you know we're not going to have quite the same access for interviews and stuff you know i'm not going to complain about that because it's for a very it's for a very good reason right so mm-hmm. you know will it will adapt but it, it is it is concerning to me that you see you know leagues in europe calling off the rest of their seasons and you know large concerns about uh public gatherings and you know in in Canada some of the largest public gatherings we have are all centered around sports events and often the National Hockey League so you know obviously there are cases in Canada hopefully there aren't too many more mm. and i i just wonder what the NHL's um plan is because i you know they can't they can't put themselves above health and what other organizations are doing, right? If I don't know what they would do if they would just say we're going to shorten the season. I, I think there's a, a talk that they, you know, would could they play regular season games into late April if they needed to call off some games or postpone them? But it, it really is it really is something you got to keep an eye on hourly. And I heard the report there about the the, the San Jose Sharks, and that's you know you wonder what's what's going to happen there. But yeah, the stuff about um, you know, we can still ask players questions. You don't get quite the access right now, but it's just day two about that. So I think that's mm-hmm. something we just roll with for the time being. Reed, as always, my man, you know, I appreciate the, the time. You're always uh, quick to answer when we uh, ask you to come on. I really appreciate it, man. We'll talk soon, and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll see you around here uh, for a playoff game or two. Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks for having me, Logan. Thanks, Reed. There you go. That is Reed Wilkins, the host of Inside Hockey on 6.30. Chad up the road in Edmonton, uh, bringing down uh, what could be a first-round opponent for the Calgary Flames. It looks more and more uh, every day, especially after that three-pointer uh, last night for Vegas in Edmonton. That look, it looks like the Flames and the Oilers could see each other in round one of the NHL postseason. Uh, Reed Wilkins joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Uh, and wanted to take a quick chance to remind you that Wednesday, tomorrow, March 11th, is your last chance uh, to get down to Hudson's for the Hot AF Wing Challenge. Uh, it's the last one there, so you can get down there, get free wings for a year, plus a limited edition T-shirt if you take on the Hot AF Wing Challenge. you got to eat 10 of those wings in two minutes or less. You can't drink anything. You can't touch your face. You can't use a napkin. Uh, Sign-up starts right around 6.30 and goes until 9 or 10 o'clock, uh, depending on how many people uh, sign up. And then, of course, if you can beat the challenge, you can, you'll get uh, free wings for a year, you can get a limited edition Hot AF t-shirt, and you can also dive into the Death Wing should you get that one, should you get through the 10 Hot AF wings. Uh, Pat and Will are going to be at Hudson's Shaughnessy tomorrow night for our last Hudson's Hot AF wing challenge of the year. Head to sportsnet.ca slash 960 
for full event details. We're going to get Riley Pollock back into the show next. He's got three burning questions on Pinder and Steinberg. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Time to turn up the heat. These are three burning questions on the Steinberg Show. Sportsnet 960, the fan. All right, we have Riley Pollock on the board once again today. Riles, you get three burning questions. Yeah, I do have three you burning do. questions. Um, I've heard that. All right, let's get into it here. Let's if do it. Noah Hannafin is back sooner than later, and it looks like Travis Hamanek will be back soon. Who are the six defensemen you roll with going forward? Hmm. Uh, you know what? I'm going to roll with a pretty. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to keep it pretty simple for me. It's going to be Giordano, Brody, Hamannick, Hannafin. Jeez, easy for you to say. Uh, Hamannick, Hannafin, uh, Brasmus, and probably. Oh. I think Derek Forbert's probably my seven. So I think I have to take Forbert out. Anderson stays in. And then Gus. And then Gus. Yeah, I'm going to keep Gustafson as the sixth there because I think I like him on the power play. Um, he hasn't been great defensively, but if it's in a third role, like a third pairing role, I don't mind it as much. Um, I think you're going to put Hamnick and Hannafin back together when they're both healthy at the same time. Um, and Giordano Brody is, is your solid shutdown pair that they've always been. So I think those are the six that I'd go with. Forbert, probably my seven. Yeah, and then like most likely sending Shillington back to the A. to. Uh... Yeah, he's waiver exempt. It makes sense. They've still got, I think, double-digit games left to go, somewhere around 13 or 12 games left to go. So he could still uh, go in and get some good minutes down there. And then once it comes playoff time and the rosters expand, then you can bring Shillington back up and he can – Skate back up with the group, but at least he'll get some playing time late in the season with Stockton. All right. If you had to pick a final four right now in the NHL with how the playoffs are set up as of today, what teams are in your Western Conference final and Eastern Conference final? This was a tough one because when I got this from you, I had to go through and actually pick my winners and see each matchup. So, right now, if that was the case, let me see here. How do I have this? St. Louis would be the number one. So, it would be St. Louis, Minnesota. Vegas takes on Winnipeg. Calgary, Edmonton. Colorado, Dallas in the West. I'm going to say that my West final likely sees Vegas taking on St. Louis. Very far out of the ballpark. I know what a bold prediction yeah, thanks, Pat. I really appreciate that. You know, I'm always known for my hot takes around here. Um, and in the East, uh, Washington currently in that number one seed in the Metro. Boston won in the Atlantic. That's probably going to stay that way. They burned me last year. They burned everyone last year because they got swept by Columbus, and absolutely no one saw that coming. So I'm going to say Tampa Bay-Pittsburgh in the Eastern Conference Final for me. Hmm. I like I like most of those. If I think if Nathan McKinnon isn't as hurt as hopefully he is, and I don't know, I think mm-hmm. he left the game yesterday. I think yes. I'm going Colorado, Vegas, mm-hmm. and Tampa, Washington on the other side. Ooh, I like yeah. that one. I t- Tampa looks nasty. Yeah, I I have a different feeling about Tampa this year. I just feel like last year stung a little bit too much for them to not do something this year, but. 
uh, who knows? They were good last year, and look what happened then. Yeah, we're not really predicting any upsets, so that's uh, I mean, we, no, we, we gotta we be wrong exactly there. There's always that one Cinderella team. Yeah, we didn't like, put Minnesota Calgary in the West final hmm. or anything like that. <laughs> uh, uh, last one, or else? Yeah. Uh, what trade deadline acquisition in the league has made the biggest impact for their new team, in your opinion? Um, my choice for this one was a little bit off of. It wasn't quite a trade. It wasn't on the day of trade deadline, but uh, I went with Tyler Toffoli for yeah. Vancouver. Um, Brock Besser is back taking line rushes with the team today and hopefully is going to be back in action for them uh, sometime soon. But uh, they've really been free-falling of late. They haven't been able to survive uh, without Jacob Markstrom. But Tyler Toffoli uh, has really come in and fit in nice there, and I wonder where they would be if he hadn't uh, been acquired by the team. Uh, he's sitting at eight points in nine games. He's got five goals and three assists, uh, and he just fits into that top six really nice. And I think that they're a much more dangerous team if Besser comes back and Toffoli keeps playing at this level for them. Um, I'm going to say that that's been the best one because the trade deadline, there wasn't a ton. No. Uh, Pajot's only sitting at a couple of points, and uh, like we mentioned with uh, Reed Wilkins there, 630 Chad, who's kind of been a bit of a wash so far in Edmonton. So I'm going to go with Toffoli as the biggest trade deadline acquisition so far this year. Yeah, I would. Just, I like Toffoli as well. My honorable mention would go to Robin Lehner, 3 and 0, 940 save percentage with a shutout in his three starts so far in Vegas. So. Yeah, and I like that as an honorable mention. It was hard for me to pick him because he doesn't play every night. Yeah. But uh, he's definitely been one of the more uh, impactful. Uh, there hasn't been many, actually, when you look through the list, but uh, he's been for sure up there for me as well. Uh, good job, Rawls. Appreciate it Thank as always. You, uh, we'll have you for three burning again tomorrow. Uh, around the corner, though, Pat Steinberg is back. Uh, he kept his mandatory 10 feet away from all players and media availability. Six. Oh, six feet. Uh, and he'll join us next. Uh, busy Pinder and Steinberg, the 2 o'clock hour, kicking off next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon. Brought to you by Glenmore Audi. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. This is starting to get a little crazy. That's two major European hockey leagues that have shut down for the season today. And you just heard it with Riles in the update. The Austrian League and the German League, the DEL, and the, I think it's the EBHL in uh, in Austria, they've both just shut down. They're done. And, and they were just getting started in the postseason. Like that, that really, and it's not like this hasn't hit home for me before, but when you see that happening today and when I'm not going to sit here and complain about media access to players or anything like that, but it was definitely different and mm -hmm. it hit home that, okay, world is different. Things are going to be different here for a little bit. Uh, everything done at a podium today. There's a white line that you couldn't cross in the media lounge because you need to the, – the NHL's mandated six feet between players and media, which I totally understand – the San Jose Sharks might have to play home games here with no one in attendance, or they might have to go neutral site and, and move away from uh, where they play downtown at SAP Center. I'm not saying any of these measures are wrong or overreactions or anything, but it's unprecedented, and it is bonkers when you think about all that has changed and how many things change seemingly every hour or every 24 hours mm -hmm. this is this is a pretty 
this is a pretty wacky time to wrap your head around. And I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how this is going to continue to evolve. But think about this. The German Hockey League is one of the most populated leagues or, or one of the most um, popularly attended leagues in all the world. Mm-hmm. Like, the attendance that you get in Germany, like, it's not that far off from NHL games. Like, Berlin averages about 13,000 people a game. Cologne's about 12,000. Mannheim's about 10,000. Like, this is a very, very popular league, and the DEL is one of the highest grossing leagues and most profitable European hockey leagues, and they just shut down their postseason. Yeah. And and while the Austrian league isn't quite at the same level, it's, again, the top league in Austria. They just shut down their season. And and I don't think this is the this is the end of it. This I is think, the beginning I of it. I think we're just starting to see the door being knocked on when it comes to all these things. It is like we're, we're living in different times. And I don't know how long we're going to be living in different times like this, mm. but I would suggest to you, my friend, I would suggest to you listening that get ready for more change. This is this is not going to be the end of some of the sweeping ramifications of a worldwide problem impacting sports and impacting what we love to have as a distraction to get away from all these things that are happening in the real world. It's, it's been a really strange day in that regard. Yeah, and you mentioned it there and when you're opening it. It seems to change every few hours. Something else gets added on, and it just keeps piling up and piling up. We got the news last night about uh, San Jose and the SAP Center and you know not having these large gatherings and uh, that's going to affect them at least for the month of March. Uh, the month of March, excuse me, while they have three home games. And imagine what it would have been like, you know, if a team like Calgary or Edmonton, who has a significant amount of their games at home still, if they had six or seven home games, what what that would be like instead of having to just move three events around, you know, logistically or doing it in the empty stadium might be easier to do for that. But you know, and then we you added on the European leagues, just shutting down the playoffs. That's that's a huge amount of revenue lost for those teams. That's games that are, mean something to players that are just gone. And the WHL comes out. They've got their own list of, of rules and suggestions now. You've got to have your own water bottle. They don't want to see you guys giving high fives. In the WHL playoffs, in the first round, whenever the first series ends, they're not going to do a handshake line. Uh, one of the greatest traditions in sports and something that's just normal in hockey that when the series ends, both teams line up, they shake hands. It, I've always loved it. It's always a great moment. It's just not going to happen now because everybody is taking those extra precautions. And, it, you know, it, it maybe that seems like a, a pretty minor thing to you. But like I said, this is just the start of it and where it goes from here and expands from here. I have no idea. The timeline is what really is up in the air for me because I have no idea when this when this. Well, is think about end. it. Think about it from this standpoint. And we were talking about this watching practice this morning. Major League Baseball hasn't even started their season, and no. Major League Baseball is looking. And and uh, it was it was Brendan Parker who brought this up from Flames TV. Just like. Major League Baseball is looking at 162 games of, of baseball per team, 
and this thing is only starting to pick up steam. Like, what the, what the heck does baseball do if this continues to evolve the way that it has? And again, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to spread hysteria. I'm not because no, I, I just, we to we're just re, we're just we reacting to, to what's going on, and and all I've seen is more and more reaction to this. And again, I'm not saying it's overreaction. I'm not saying that these measures aren't important because I believe they are important. I don't believe that a league like the NHL would be taking the measures that they're taking. And we're going to talk to CJ at the top of the hour. Chris Johnston will join us like he always does on Tuesday. But these aren't the only measures that are on the table. Like, there are other significant measures on the Mm -hmm. table for the NHL, like postponing or canceling the season. Like, these things are on the table. I can't imagine that a league run by 31, soon-to-be 32, multi-millionaire, sometimes billionaire owners – I can't believe they'd just be like, yeah, you know what, let's overreact here. Well, this is nothing, but we're going to – no, like this no. is a significant, serious thing. So, yeah, we're just reacting to what has been an unprecedented situation. And, yeah, I just – like, so what happens if this continues to evolve in Major League Baseball? Well, let's do, use they, baseball. do they postpone the season? Let's do they use, push it back? Yeah, let's use baseball as an example because as soon as you brought that up, I wanted to go see because – uh, baseball, if you're not aware, yes, they play 162 games, but the amount of time that they play during the month is absolutely insane. So if you use the Blue Jays, for example, in the month of April, they'll have their, uh, their home opener late in March. But just April, they have, out of 30 days, five days where they're not playing baseball. Five. What? Do, how do you change something around there? How do you push things back when every week, six out of seven days, you're playing baseball. Some weeks you're in two different cities. You'll be in Boston for three days, then you're off to Baltimore for three days, then you're back in Toronto, then you're off to Minnesota, then you welcome in Kansas City. How do you? What do you do in that situation other than just push everything back? There's no time. Like I mentioned, at least the San Jose Sharks, you know, in this situation, which is already tough in a building like the Sal, you know, it has other things going on. At least they only have three games they have to worry about to try to figure out in the next month or so. You know, baseball, what do you do? I don't know. You have you just have too many games that you need to play in a short period of time to to postpone things. The uh I, I don't know where it's going to go. We'll talk plenty about this as the afternoon continues, but you know, like and I'll add a little levity to the situation. By the way, welcome to the program. Uh, hour two of Pinder and Steinberg is underway. He's Logan Gordon. My name is Pat Steinberg. We're in our Better Business Bureau hot stove lounge. Like, and and I'm a very I'm a very selfish, self centered human being. Absolutely. So it's all about me. It, it's, is. it always has been about me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just upset because like I'm used to every day whoever I'm working with, I give them a big kiss. It's and true. and I can't I can't give no. Pinder a kiss when he comes back. No, nope. can't. Pinder's going to be in a bubble for two weeks when he gets back. He is going to be on absolute lockdown. Not going to be able to see his kids, his wife, none of that. We should have put him on lockdown from the last Florida trip, but we've learned our lesson now. That's a different type of lockdown, the reason the last Florida trip. That's true, actually. Um, We'll keep our eye on this. 660 News. Like If you actually want the news, uh, don't come to us. Um, But if you want the news, surf on over to 660 News or 660news.com. They've got you covered for all of not just the worldwide stuff, but especially how it affects you, the Calgarian, or you, the Albertans. So um, go over to 660 News as they've got all the latest and uh, breaking news on this whole story. We're going to focus on it more from a sports standpoint and, and more just from a reacting standpoint because it is such a unprecedented time in sports. Like last time there was no Stanley Cup awarded outside of wartime and outside of a lockout. 
was the 1918-19 season that was the outbreak of the 1918 Spanish flu. That's the last time there was not a Stanley Cup awarded um, for any other reasons other than the the two world wars and uh, the couple lot. I guess it's just the one lockout mm-hmm. season where they didn't hand out the Stanley Cup in 2005. So anyway, um, I digress and let's get to this. Coming up in about 15 minutes' time, really excited to chat with Derek Ryan of the Calgary Flames. I've been uh, wanted to do this for a couple of uh, for a couple of weeks, knowing that his 300th game was coming up, and so today just worked out timing wise. Derek Ryan of the Flames is going to join us at 2:30 this afternoon, just to um, go through his time and and kind of chronicle his journey to the NHL, how he got here, the winding road it took, and some of the different stops that he spent time in before getting to Carolina and eventually becoming a member of the Calgary Flames. That's coming your way at 2.30. But to actual hockey we go. Travis Hamannick very close to returning to action. He went through another full practice. Um, We talked to him today. I asked him, did he get everything that he needed out of these practices? Did the boxes get checked that he needed? A big part of this for Travis has all been about taking contact and feeling comfortable to go out there and and continue taking contact. The injury that he has been dealing with um, has been all about pain and playing through pain and the contact and, and whether or not he can take the contact and be able to play through it. And we all know that Hamannick can play through a lot of pain and mm-hmm. more pain than the Probably average most, yeah. most human beings can play through. So you know that this was obviously a fairly, fairly uh, serious situation in that regard. He says, yes, he feels ready. He feels like he's back to 100%. Coach's decision as to whether or not he plays Thursday against the New York Islanders, but I would suggest all indications point towards him coming back on Thursday. And if not Thursday, then you're talking very imminently in the next one, two, or three games. So while Noah Hannafin is out, and we don't know his status. Travis Hamannick is imminently set to return to the Flames lineup. It's a big one for sure because we we were, you know, for a long time kind of out in the dark about where exactly this timeline would land for him uh, and for him to be able to get in some regular season games here and to feel like he can do that because the hockey only gets more physical and all that sort of stuff, you know, goes to the next level now. So good to, to see Travis coming back. I think he's an important part of their their decor, uh, penalty killing, and all the physicality that he brings. That I think the maybe the the rest of the decor doesn't necessarily have in spades, except for you know Derek Forbert, who's you know similar to Travis, but I don't think necessarily it's physical. Um, so that, that I think it's really good news, and you could you could hear from him that it sounds like he's excited to come back. He's feel like it's been ready. I mean, it's almost been a month. Uh, for the guy to be out, so you can imagine that it would be nice for him to come back and maybe play his former team on Thursday, but if not, it doesn't sound like it's far away by any means, so that's good news for the Flames. It very much is, and um, he'll be, it looks like he's going to jump in and play on a pairing with TJ Brody, the way the pairings look today without Hannafin, and again, upper body injury for Hamannick, did not practice today, Jeff Ward, as we, as we told you, as we, so who did I say? You said Hamannick. H A. They you. did this to me when I went through the pairings earlier today. Uh, I tell you, I'm at Hannafin. Hannafin upper body injury did not practice today. Uh, as we told you yesterday, this does not sound like a long term thing. Jeff Ward confirmed that today, but his status is uncertain for Thursday against the New York Islanders. But the pairings today had 
Mark Giordano on the left with Rasmus Anderson on the right. TJ Brody over to the left on a pairing with Travis Hamanick. And then the pairing of Forbert and Gustafson remained the same, as did the fourth pairing of Shillington and Stone. So it looks like if, when Hamanick returns and while Hannafin is out, that's the way these D pairings are going to shake down. Yeah, and... Look, we don't have a real idea of how long Hannafin's out for, so maybe practice tomorrow looks different if Hannafin's out there. But for now, I think these pairings make a lot of sense for everybody. Uh, Hamannick and Brody is something we saw a lot of in Hamannick's first year here as a member of the Flames. Uh, and I really, I've always liked the the Giordano Anderson pairing. It's always been a really nice mix between those two. I think Brody and, and Gio are a pretty solid everyday shutdown pairing for this team, but. Um, It'd be interesting to see what we get out of those three, you know, the two for sure changing up. So. Well, the interesting thing is that when Hamannick first came here, his first year was spent, uh, a good chunk of that first year was spent on a pairing with TJ Brody. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, the returns weren't necessarily outstanding. Um but I'm curious to see how it looks going back to that pairing, if indeed that's the way it looks. If Hannafin's okay for Thursday, then we're talking about a completely different story. But just for the sake of this conversation, say that's not going to be the way it goes, then, yeah, that I'm, I'm curious to see. Because I've really liked, for the most part, Brody's season. Mm -hmm. I, I wonder how Brody and Hamannick look if uh, that is indeed what we see come Thursday night. Yeah, and who knows, maybe we're starting to get our first look at the six that they might run come playoffs or here in the, you know, important games for us, we're going to start to see, and who knows, maybe even Jeff Ward and the coaching staff have a completely different idea of what pairings are going to look like. If everyone's healthy, we don't, we don't know because we haven't seen these guys healthy since the Gustafson and Forbert trades. So I'd be interested to see if they change it up a bit and take the chance at uh, doing some of that. It's late in the season. I wouldn't put a whole lot of money on it. There's pretty good stability here with pairings, but who knows? The, the, the team has options right now going forward, and that's a really good thing. One other note outside of the Calgary Flames, uh, but affecting the Calgary Flames. Seem early that Brock Besser's coming back? Uh, sure does. Um, weren't, weren't we told like eight weeks or something eight, like that? Six to eight weeks was what we heard. I don't know what's going on with injury reporting in the NHL. Like Kyler Yamamoto was supposed to be out like four weeks. He came back after three games, and here's, here's Brock Besser coming back. We still don't know. Jacob Markstrom skated today in Vancouver. That was my next one. So that, that at the very least seems like it's on the, uh, the right timeline, but Brock Besser um, – I believe Besser's injury kind of similar to Hamannick's in that it's, it was all about the the pain threshold and that type of stuff. So it looks like Besser is is able to step right back in. So I guess that's good news for the the Vancouver. I, I know that's good news for the Vancouver Canucks. He will play tonight. Mm -hmm. So Besser back, Markstrom close. This is one of Vancouver's games in hand tonight. They were they they really liked their effort against Columbus a couple of nights ago, and they've got a huge game against the New York Islanders. Like these games, like it's starting to feel like if because I, I follow a lot of Vancouver people, I talk to a lot of people in that city who cover the Canucks. This is starting to feel like a bona fide, no questions asked, must win situation for the Canucks tonight. That's that's kind of how it's being. Um, talked about right now in that city and around that team. Yeah, uh, just to add some levity to our conversation about the Besser injury, he was out February 8th was when he went down oh, with the injury. Been, oh, so, okay, so it's been about That's four, four weeks. weeks. That's a whole lot That's quicker than six That's two weeks to eight. quicker on the lower end of the injury spectrum, right? If you heard six to eight, well, it's still two weeks early on that. So I wonder how much desperation plays into that and how much the – 
the player is, you know, seeing his team struggle and wants to get back out there and is going to try to push through it. You're right as far as, you know, must wins. This is absolutely there for Vancouver. And just because Markstrom's back skating with your team, don't put any, you know, relevance of bringing him back early. That's a guy that's a UFA and has to worry about himself to a degree too. Yeah. Uh, not just, you know, yes, he wants to be there for his team, but his own health and going forward for his career is still important for him too. So. A uh, couple of texts at 960-960. This one, Pat, we didn't lose any Stanley Cups to the wars, just the flu outbreak, outbreak in 1819 and Gary Bettman's ego. I don't know why I thought there were games. I don't know what I was thinking that got canceled during the war. I, I really don't. I'm not certain. Like I, For whatever mm. reason, I thought that there were. But no, I, absolutely, that's correct. So uh, my, correct, my, my mistake, and thank you for the correction. I don't know why I thought that they didn't hand out the Stanley Cup and, and didn't play um, during the, the war years in, in World War One and World War Two. So my mistake, and appreciate the correction. I don't know if I was thinking Olympics. I don't know exactly what mm. I was thinking, but uh, I appreciate the correction. And the other text that I uh, am going to get the right answer on, because I went and looked, is Stockton affected the same way as the San Jose Sharks? The answer to that question is no. Uh, San Jose is in Santa Clara County. Uh, it's Northern California, but Stockton is in San Joaquin County, and they have not done any of the same measures as Santa Clara County. So Santa Clara County is the one that is banning public gatherings of more than a thousand people. That's where San Jose lies. Some of the other cities, Palo Alto, San Jose, Santa Clara, uh, Los Gatos, Los Altos, Cupertino, where Apple's based. Those are the uh, those are the cities in Santa Clara County. Uh, San Joaquin County is where Stockton resides, so they will not be affected by the same thing. Uh, you're locked on Sportsnet 960, the fan. It's Pinder and Steinberg underway on a Tuesday. Later on tonight, 5 to 6, it's the Sports Drive at 5. Brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. Really excited for our next guest, Flames forward Derek Ryan around the corner. Going to give us the rundown on his extremely unique and winding road to the NHL and more than 300 NHL games. That's next as Pinder and Steinberg's underway. Sportsnet 9 60 the fan calgary guys talking calgary sports pinder and steinberg are only on sportsnet 960 the fan brought to you by glenmore audi Really excited to welcome in our next guest as we welcome you back to the program. Pat Steinberg along with you from the Better Business Bureau here at the Scotiabank Saddledome. This gentleman recently played his 300th career NHL game. And, you know, knowing the uh, knowing the journey and, and knowing the story that it was, I thought, you know, now would be a pretty good time if, if he was willing to come on and chat about that journey to the NHL and 300 career NHL games. We're talking about Calgary Flames forward Derek Ryan who joins us this afternoon. Derek, I really appreciate you doing this i know it's a strange time uh, around uh, around the sport of hockey right now but i appreciate you doing this today how are you hey guys yeah i'm good thanks no problem uh, happy to be on the show and uh, talk some hockey with you well, and, and I, I really, first of all, you talk, I remember having you on our post-game show after you played the 300th game. It was after that uh, crazy comeback win over Columbus and, and basically said, yeah, you know what, it, it didn't feel like any other game and probably something that you'll reflect on once the season is done. But it is, it is still pretty cool to know that you have hit a milestone like that, isn't it? Yeah, you know, ever well since the game, I've talked to um, a couple of family members and friends, and just reflected briefly on how cool the journey has been. Um, obviously, I've 
talked about it a lot and it gets talked about a lot my journey to be in just in the NHL and and now to play 300 games is pretty spectacular it's it's amazing and um, sometimes I just have to pinch myself and realize how lucky I am to have worked my way to be where I am now and and um, it's just been a pretty fun journey yeah a lot of hard work a lot of lucky bounces and uh, here's the 300 more games hopefully yeah, no doubt. Well, it, okay, so it all started for you in Spokane, Washington. You're a Spoke guy, uh, played three years with the Chiefs there. So tell tell us about growing up and playing hockey in Spokane, Washington. How big a deal is the Western League there? How big is hockey in uh, in eastern Washington? Yeah, you know, I'd consider it probably a smaller hockey market growing up playing minor hockey, um, a lot different than my son experiences now is in as a Timbit in Calgary where, you know, they have many, many teams nearby just in the city that he can play. Whereas when I was growing up in Spokane, in order to get any decent competition, my parents were traveling, you know, across the border into Cranbrook, uh, Penticton, Kelowna, and even Calgary and Edmonton just to get some, some decent competition. So driving around a lot and uh, growing up, the, the Chiefs were the, the big ticket in town and as a young hockey player I just I mean the the Chiefs were the NHL to me there weren't many Spokane guys really making it to many high levels of hockey so when I had the opportunity after playing for the Spokane Braves and the KIJHL for a couple of years I had the opportunity to play for the Chiefs and kind of fulfill a childhood dream of playing for the local Western Hockey League team and there's a lot of support for the Chiefs within the hockey community in Spokane, and it was a pretty big deal for a Spokane guy to get the opportunity to play there. So, like I said, it was almost uh, an NHL experience for me just playing at home. Uh, it was really cool and special that I was able to live at home during my junior hockey career and uh, spend a little more time with mom and dad and, and help me grow up a little bit, and um, it was fun. I really enjoyed my time in Spokane, and um, yeah, I really cherish those memories for sure. So was the NHL on your radar at that time? Like, was that the goal you were working towards? I mean, every hockey player, no matter what age, dreams of playing in the NHL. And that's kind of something that was, I don't know if it was on the radar. If it was on the radar, it was pretty far away. And um, I think in my first year, I was I was an 18-year-old rookie, and I ended up being Western Conference Rookie of the Year or something like that. And and um, I think at that point was the first time I realized that, hey, maybe, you know, NHL teams might take notice. Maybe I'll have a chance to go to camp and, and maybe play in the NHL. Um, obviously didn't happen right away. And uh, there was kind of the time in the NHL where they were drafting more bigger and stronger guys. And a smaller skilled guy like myself was overlooked pretty quickly and easily. So didn't work out that I got drafted or really had any NHL interest or opportunities throughout my junior career. And then after my 20 year old year, wasn't really an option either. So at that point it was basically whether or not I wanted to go play minor pro somewhere, you know, East coast league, the American league wasn't really an option either. And uh, I didn't really want to do that. Didn't want to waste my scholarship that I'd earned through the Western hockey league and uh, realized that, getting that I may as well use it and education had always been pretty important to me my parents had stressed that on me at a young early age so was trying to find a, a good place to go to school and uh, <clears throat> ended up making the decision to go to Edmonton one of the 
winningest uh, Canadian university hockey programs, and it happened to be relatively close to Spokane, closer than going out east somewhere like Moncton or UNB or another program like that. And uh, so, yeah, that was a, a tough decision, but we ended up making what I would say or my dad would say the best hockey decision we ever made, which was to go to the U of A and, and get a degree there and play four years there. So was it was that a hockey-based decision or was that an education-based decision? I mean, I guess probably could have been both, but what, what drove that yeah. decision for you? A little bit of both. Um, whenever you're making a big decision like that, there's a lot of factors that go into it. Hockey was probably the number one part of it. I wanted to go somewhere and, and win, have a chance to win uh, my time in Spokane. We were, we were okay, but for a couple of years, we weren't very good. I think we made the playoffs only two out of my four years. And I was just, you know, thirsty and hungry for winning hockey and don't have to look much farther than the U of A to have uh, some winning hockey and Canadian university hockey anyways. So that was a big part of it. Um, obviously the U of A is one of the best schools in the country, one of the best schools in the world, really. And uh, so that was part of it. Uh, like I mentioned before, being somewhat close to Spokane, um, my family was able to come and visit me a couple times a year and, and watch me play. That was part of it. Um, so there's a lot of different variables that go into a decision like that, but you kind of try and look at the big picture and weigh all the options. And um, that was just where our gut was telling us to go. With Derek Ryan of the Calgary Flames, 300 NHL games in the book and just kind of going through the journey to get Derek to the NHL. So four years U of A, and, and you said the, the best hockey decision that you've ever made. So then how, how does the Austrian League and a trip to Hungary go? How does, how does mm-hmm. that pop onto your radar? Yeah, I mean, just wrapping up my university career, um, finishing my degree in four years, and basically coming to a crossroads there where it's a decision of whether, um, you know, quote unquote, I'd like to join the real world and get a real job or continue to play hockey somewhere. And I had quite a bit of success at the university level. So I wanted to play hockey somewhere at a pro level and, and um, see if I could make something work in that regard. So um, again, the U of A being a great decision, a lot of networking there. Uh, One of the coaches in the Austrian league, which is a pretty good opportunity coming out of Canadian university. It's a, it's a good jump. It's a good league where you can solidify yourself as a European pro. And the coach of the Hungarian team in the Austrian league was a U of A alumni and basically was just reaching out to uh, U of A networking and trying to find a player to bring in for the next, uh, next season. And, you know, I got some good reviews from my coach at the U of A at the time, Eric Thurston. And, um, I think it was kind of between myself and Chad Clawson, so it could have gone either way. And I ended up getting the job and um, going to going to Hungary in the first year of my professional hockey career and the first year of my marriage as well. So you're newly married, and now you're going to live in uh, in Hungary. So that like that had to be a crazy experience because you're f- way far east of the rest of the teams in the Austrian league, and here you are playing yeah. in a in a brand new country. Like, what is what is the Hungarian hockey experience like for a newlywed playing his first professional <clears throat> year? You know what? It was actually pretty neat. So I think it was at the right point in our lives where we could make the most of it like I said we were newly married first second year marriage and um, pretty young at this time too 24 25 years old and 
really just looking for a great experience. We're able to experience a different culture that most people don't get to experience. And um, the city that we lived in was 45 minutes outside of Budapest. So we ended up spending a lot of time, a lot of off days or whatnot in Budapest, which is a beautiful, amazing city. Um, able to travel around quite a bit into Vienna and Austria. And yeah, just a really cool experience where we got to travel the world and experience my first year of professional hockey and kind of had a lot of success on the ice and had a lot of fun off the ice too, just experiencing new things that most young married couples don't get to experience. Well, I know that, and, and then you went off for, so where were you playing the two years in Austria? Yeah, so then we moved into Austria. The city was called Filok, which is about, I don't know, two and a half hours south of Salzburg, about three and a half hours south of Munich, and um, really beautiful area. The house we had was in right in this, the Austrian Alps, 20 minutes from Italy. Uh, beautiful little spot. So, and I, I remember you were, uh, I was listening to your interview with Willsy, Derek Wills, on one of our pregame shows recently, and basically you, you said that, you know, you're, you're basically outside of Italy. You can pop into Italy whenever you want to go. Like, you, that, that, had to be, that had to be a pretty cool lifestyle thing for you, too. Yeah, it was awesome. Like I said in that interview, I could come home from practice, you know, looking to have lunch and I could say, Hey honey, you want to go to Italy and have some pizza for lunch? We could pop over to Italy, you know, 20 minutes away. Uh, we were 20 minutes from Slovenia. Uh, one of the hidden gems in Europe, I think really beautiful, awesome country with some cool cities and a lot of exploring to do. So like I said, it was just a really cool experience to be able to travel around and see all these different cool places in Europe while getting paid to play hockey. I mean, does it get any better than that? Yeah. What and then and then one year in Sweden. Uh, just just tell us about the European hockey experience in terms of the actual on ice product and and being in the arenas and that type of stuff. What's what's it like playing in in Europe? It's, it seems like a completely different world to what we're used to over here. Yeah, the experience is. I like to compare it to like a soccer European soccer league where the fans are pretty animate, um, energized throughout the game. A lot of them are standing, kind of jumping, chanting. They have the scarves that they they spread out in their arms, and they have the drums right above the bench. And it's just a really cool, loud environment. Uh, they're really passionate and and just really make it a cool experience. So it was awesome. It was, it was loud in Austria. It was loud in Sweden. Um, obviously, the hockey in Sweden was top-notch, one of the best hockey leagues in the world. And the fans there were, were animate as well, and it's just cool to play in those loud, kind of, uh, you know, rambunctious buildings. A couple more with Derek Ryan of the Calgary Flames. How did you come back to North America? How did that materialize in a chance with the Carolina Hurricanes organization? Yeah, so this my whole journey in Europe, the, the NHL was never really on my radar much at all. I was solidifying myself as a, a European pro. And like I said, we were living a pretty good life. We're traveling around and making decent money. And the NHL wasn't really on the radar until I had that year in Sweden, which I said was, you know, it's one of the top leagues. It's pretty highly scouted by by NHL scouts. There's a lot of young Swedes that are going to be drafted or already drafted in that league. And I ended up having probably my most pivotal year in my hockey career where I led the league in scoring 
uh, was given the golden helmet for the, the league MVP in the regular season and just had a fantastic year. And it was about halfway through that year where my agent was starting to get calls from different NHL teams that were interested in, in bringing me in. And, um, <clears throat> and even at that point, you know, with the NHL teams that were interested, it was, it was kind of a hard decision. We, we had a pretty good life in Europe and it would have been, it was a significant pay cut to come back and, and play in North America and the American hockey league anyways, because I, I knew I'd have to take a two way contract and kind of work mm-hmm. my way up. But I just remember having a couple of conversations with my agents and a couple with my wife and um, both of them kind of reiterated that, you know, if I want to play in the NHL, this is my, my one opportunity. So I decided to, kind of grab the bull by the horns and come back, take a pay cut and come play in the American Hockey League and try and claw my way up to uh, the NHL, the best league in the world. When did so when did it become a reality for you that holy crap, like I've been I've been going through all these different spots and and you know, I've taken a pretty winding road. The NHL might actually been on be on the table here. When did that first kind of hit you? Well, my first year, I spent pretty much the whole year in the American League. I didn't get called up till March. Uh, I played a handful of games, I think six games, had a couple goals. Um, but the NHL, I mean, at that point, yeah, after after those six games, I guess I was, in my own head anyways, considered myself able to play in the NHL. Um, there's a lot more that goes into it to be able to play in the NHL. You have to be in the right place at the right time. and get the right opportunities. So I don't think it was until that next year where I spent most of the year in the NHL. And um, at that point kind of solidified my role. I was playing really well. I was playing on the third line in Carolina uh, with Jeff Skinner and Lee Stempniak for most of the year and just had a lot of success and felt like, yeah, okay, the NHL is, is where I, I belong. I can play here and I can make something of this. Two final ones. One fun one. I know you were contemplating other things at different times. It was pharmacist. That's that's what you were. That's the the road you were going down. If if hockey didn't work out. Yeah. So I, I graduated the U of A with a science degree in uh, human physiology, which is basically a stepping stone. Well, a lot of students use it as a stepping stone to medicine or dentistry or pharmacy, and and uh, pharmacy was what I was thinking of heading in that direction, anyways. And then the final thought for you, and it's it's kind of a serious question, but just because you played there, uh, I'm just I'm just curious your thoughts and and maybe your reflections on playing in Austria, knowing that just as their playoffs are starting, they've shut down the league for the season. Just uh, d- does that does that hit you any harder? Just knowing that you played there for three years. Yeah, I just saw that. I don't know a couple hours here before I called in. Um, have a couple of friends that I played with or played against that are still playing there and. And saw that they, yeah, they canceled the rest of the playoffs, and um, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I don't quite know what to make of of all this. It's pretty wild. Um, obviously, they're taking things really seriously over there, and um, I don't know. I kind of feel bad for the players to battle all year long like that, and then just have your season end kind of on a not even a sour note, just a weird kind of okay. I guess we're going home. The season's over. Note. So yeah, I don't know. It's kind of strange. Yeah. Appreciate the time, Derek. I really do. I know it's uh, a practice day, and uh, you have the rest of your afternoon free, so I really do appreciate you taking 15 uh, minutes out with us to to spend that time. That was a really cool story. Congratulations on the 300 NHL games. Here's to 300 more, and good luck Thursday against the New York Islanders. Yeah, thanks, Pat. No problem.
That is Derek Ryan of the Calgary Flames joining us here on Pinder and Steinberg this afternoon. He joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, the same secret recipe since 1975 for pickup or delivery. Call 403-248-3344 and find them at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Really cool story um, and one of the most winding roads to the NHL. And here's the thing. Dude's a good NHLer. Like, he is uh, an impact maker. He is an important member of this team. He was coveted by this team after his time in Carolina. Like, it makes you wonder, how wasn't he playing in the NHL before? Because he is a bona fide, no questions asked NHL hockey player. Didn't play his first game until the age of 29. Really cool story. Thanks to Derek. Thanks to uh, Peter Kelson uh, Dalton for helping us set that up as well. It's a it's a bizarre situation right now. We were looking to do it here live in the hot stove, but that is uh, not a, a possibility right now. So Derek was gracious enough to do it on the phone anyway. So appreciate that from him as well. Is Travis Hamanick ready to return? We're going to hear from him in his own words around the corner. It's Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Brought to you by Glenmore Audi. Travis Hamannick to returning as we welcome you back to the program. Pat Steinberg, Logan Gordon along with you. Sure does sound like Logo. We're going to hear from him in just a second. Sure does sound like pretty close to returning. I, I would be shocked. Shock's the wrong word. I would surprised. be a little surprised. I'd be mildly surprised. How's that? Sure. If he's not back in the lineup on Thursday night against the New York Islanders. If he's not, that's like it's probably the Geo thing where, mm. okay, not quite ready that night. One more game. Yeah. I, I think there's a very good chance Hamannick's back on this homestand. Uh, the way he was talking, you're going to hear him in a second. You'll understand why I think that in just a second. But he sure does sound like he's pretty close, and that's pretty important return for the Calgary Flames, especially if Noah Hannafin is out for any period of time. Absolutely. And we're talking, you know, coming up to a month here without Travis Hamannick for the Flames. and. Uh, probably buoyed by their trade deadline acquisitions of Derek Forbert and uh, Eric Gustafson to to help ease the load a bit on this decor with uh, Travis being out for so long. But now you're talking about Noah being out for potentially a little bit here. So it would certainly be nice to have him back. I think his presence back there is so important for this Flames team and, and what he brings to, you know, uh, every every game, really. The, the mentality he brings, the physicality he brings is so important to this team. And uh, like you mentioned, he sounds like he's really ready to come back and it's really just going to be, you know, coach's decision leading up to it, and we'll see sooner rather than later for sure Travis back with the team. Here is Travis Hamannick, who spoke today for the first time since going down on February 8th in Vancouver and gave us a little bit of an update on how he's feeling. Yeah, we're hoping. Um, you know, it's going to be a coach's decision at the end of the day, but uh, I feel good, I uh, feel healthy, and, and uh, have another good practice day tomorrow and, and uh, um, see what Coach Ward has to say, but... Uh, Certainly eager to get back in there. It's been a little bit. How did it feel today? Good. Yeah. Yeah, felt real good. So I've uh, had a good couple practices, and I've been skating quite a bit on my own as well when the team was gone. So um, I feel up to speed and ready to go when, when they want to put me in. This team has been talking about kind of being in playoff mode for weeks already. When there's never a good time to be out, but what's it been like for you to, to be watching? Yeah, it's, uh, it sucked. I mean, you, you want to... You want to be playing, obviously, first and foremost, and you want to be playing at this time of year. Um, and, and when something, you get an injury in your body, just physically doesn't allow you 
um, to be out there. Uh, it's tough, but uh, you just got to do what you can to, to prepare yourself and be ready for for when your body allows you to get back in there uh, to play to your capacity. So I enjoyed this time of year. I think it's some of the best hockey, some of the funnest times to be playing, and uh, I'm looking forward to, like I said, getting back in there and, and just doing what I do, just contributing in uh, different aspects of the game and, and just be uh, be a part of the cog in the team and, and uh, just pull pull my end of the rope and, and try to help as best I can. Defense has felt a bit like an evolving door because Gio was out and you were out. You can see uh, Noah skating today. You have two new defensemen in the trade deadline. I guess what's that, what's that adjustment been like, that kind of flux? Yeah, well, it's... Uh, you know, injuries are happening around the league. It's it's no hidden secret. A lot of teams have a lot of guys that are hurt, but um, you got to rely on your depth. You got to rely on different people to, to step up in situations. And I, I think our group's done a great job. Um, you know, when Gio goes down, it's those are tough minutes to fill. You know, best defenseman in the league, so it's uh, that's those those are hard minutes to fill. And I think guys have done an unbelievable job and and really played well back there. And and I think as a group, uh, when guys start to, to go down a little bit and, and get banged up. Uh, it's like next man up, and, and everyone's done a great job playing well. So when, when we're healthy, it's 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 a good competition back there um, for those minutes and, and to be in the game. So um, I think when you have internal competition, that helps uh, in your team. It certainly helps as a, as a defensive core, um, and that just drives everybody's play uh, that much higher, and especially this time, you need, this time of year, you need to be you need to be dialed in and playing 100%. So um, those... Those problems are injury problems that you certainly want, but to, to have the depth and the players to to just keep trucking along um, is what you want as a team, and I think management's done a good job of that here. I know this is a bigger chunk than you guys like to look at internally, but with 12 games left in the regular season, to kind of determine the fate, what, what's the biggest key? What's the one thing that needs to be most important for this team over that stretch? You know what I think? Just day by day. Um, you know, I think at this time of year, I'd be lying to you if I said you weren't watching scoreboards, you weren't looking to see what teams are doing around the league and things like that. But I think that's human nature. Um, but at the end of the day, you you have to control what you can control. And that's just as a player going out and giving your best, as a team going out and trying to succeed and get that win that night. Um, you know, you win two, it's a whole different landscape for you in the standings. Uh, you lose two, it's a completely different landscape as well. So there's going to be a lot of jockeying for position, I would assume, amongst our division and in our conference down the stretch. And um, I think you can't get too too high or too low, and you can't get too far ahead of yourself. So um, I think just kind of taking it every day and, and seeing how it unfolds is uh, the most important, I think, for our group. When you're watching games, what do you see around? Like, we've seen it here in this range, just sort of tighter checking, lower scoring. You can kind of look around the league on a nightly basis. It seems that way. Do you do you notice it league wide, just for everything kind of tightening up right now as far as where we're at? Yeah, hundred um, percent. You know, I, I think a lot of times coaches and, and and players will say like, as the season moves along, um, there's there's kind of some parts in this season where things start to tighten up, and, and you see that certainly right after the All Star break. You know, things really start to tighten up, and then after the deadline and, and coming down the playoff stretch, there's a there's not a lot of room on the ice. Um, everybody's in position, everybody knows where they need to be, and everyone knows how to play. So there's not as many breakdowns. Um, so defensively, I think you got to be dialed in because uh, it could be that one breakdown, that one miss assignment, that one miss check, or whatever it is that that can cost you the game uh, and a big two points in the standings. And I think offensively on that side. It's just this time of year, the nature of it is you don't get as much room, so you're not creating as much. Um, and when that happens, you, you got to bear down on your chances. So I guess it's a double-edged sword that you got to tighten up. But uh, 
uh, you got to try and capitalize when you have that opportunity. But but I would say that's widespread throughout the entire league. Yeah. So you got what you wanted when you went through contact for the first time. Everything checked out right for you. Yeah, yeah, feeling good. So um, I think there's uh, obviously steps that that I've had to go through, and um, you know our medical team has has, has done a really good job. Uh, get me up to speed uh, our training staff uh, the strength coaches and stuff I've done a really good job too so I feel like my conditioning my strength is where it needs to be and and those guys uh, they work long hours and they don't get a lot of credit um, you know they're they're putting up with us and and uh, treating us at all times of the day so uh, they they did uh, as good of a job as they could have and, and I certainly feel like I'm ready and when uh, you know coach makes that final decision uh, I'll go back in, and, and I'm confident that I can uh, play to my normal ability and, and not have anything be lingering or anything like that. I know that I'm ready. Travis Hamannick is pounding on the door mm-hmm. to return on Thursday. If it's not Thursday, you're probably looking at Saturday against the Jets. Uh, either his, uh, He's either returning against his only other NHL team or his hometown. hometown. So one of the two, there'll be a good connection there. Yeah. Sure does sound like he'll be back soon. Absolutely. It sounds like he's just waiting for the, the final go-ahead. And, look, when you're at the point where you're practicing on pairings and actual lineup situations, it probably tells the story of, where the coaching staff sees that he's at as well, too. So Iconic moments go between uh, or go before every Flames game, uh, between one hour before and game time. Uh, for instance, 6 to 7 <laughs> yeah. o'clock. I'm just trying to save that, it now. That could work um, like that. Yeah. Okay, let's try this again. Iconic moments go during every Calgary Flames pregame show right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan will give you a moment from the past, ask you a trivia question about it. If you get that question correct and are the first one through, you'll be entered into our grand prize draw, which is a trip to the NHL Awards in Las Vegas, including airfare and accommodation for two plus $600 spending cash. It's all brought to you by Iconic Electric and Controls, promoting a culture of quality since 2008. Visit Iconic EC. Well, this COVID-19 story is changing by the hour, and same thing with how it affects the NHL. We've got the latest from our NHL insider, Chris Johnston, coming up next on Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg continues. Brought to you by Glenmore Audi on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome program as we continue along on this Tuesday afternoon. It's time to welcome in our NHL insider, Chris Johnston, who joins us Tuesdays and Thursdays. And CJ, this I, I, I heard you talking on headlines on Saturday with Ron and Elliot, and you guys use the term moving target when it comes to how the NHL is being affected by this coronavirus situation. German League, Austrian League, both shut down today. This this is starting to get real, isn't it? Yeah, I think it, it very much is. And, you know, I don't know where, you know, everyone's mind is at with it. I think some people maybe haven't taken it that seriously, but, you know, certainly the league is. And, you know, I think that there's a fair amount of concern there about what happens next. And, and you know, a lot of this will probably end up being at least somewhat out of their hands. You know, I've seen uh, today an uptick in some, some health officials and government uh, uh, people in certain places talking about not having gatherings more than 5,000 people, obviously, every NHL venue uh, seats more than that. And, and it does seem very likely to me that we're going to see at some point in the near future at least some games played in empty arenas, especially uh, when San Jose gets back from the road trip but just departed on because it doesn't seem as though they're going to be in a position to host uh, uh, games uh, you know, from mid-March on. So is that something the NHL is from who you've talked to? They're open to doing that. They're I, I, obviously it's lost revenue, but it's not like there's a whole lot of other choices. They are they are open to going down that road. Hey, 
Yeah, and I, I should be clear. I don't know for sure in the San Jose uh, situation that's been decided because I do know they also looked at, you know, having uh, neutral site games potentially. Uh, perhaps you can play it in the arena of the team that, that's supposed to visit you. You know, there's probably some other ways that they can still do this, uh, you know, before uh, having to, to play before an empty arena. But it just seems as though with how quickly this is moving and, and some of what's coming from the government levels in various places that, that you know, at some point they, they'll probably be forced into that situation. Okay. What what else should we be ex- not expecting? Like, that's the wrong word because I don't think anybody knows what to expect. But what else should we as media, we as fans, we as NHL observers, what should we be prepared for as this story continues to evolve? Well, the biggest thing that stands out to me is I think everyone should take it seriously and, and recognize that, well, obviously there's some inconveniences that come with whatever – what's already happened in terms of changes to the media policy, but even other things, you know, that this is part of a, a much bigger thing happening around the entire globe. And we're basically a speck of dust on, on the bottom of a shoe, you know, in terms of how important this issue is. And I, and I do think that it really is up to the public's health and safety, you know, perhaps not to be gathering um, in, in buildings the way that we do for, for sporting events. So, you know, I don't really know what's going to happen next. I don't really think the league does uh, for sure either, but, um, you know, I do say whatever whatever it is, I think the people should keep perspective and on why it's happening because it is something that's much bigger than a sport and much bigger than uh, the league or, or anything like that. Well, take us back to Saturday when you were doing some reporting on headlines, and now here we are on Tuesday. How much has this story changed, morphed, mutated since Saturday to where we are now? Well, I mean, it's, it's escalated in the sense that they, they came out yesterday in Santa Clara County and said, uh, what they did about the Sharks. You know, we had the governor of Ohio today um, issue an edict about no sporting events over 5,000 people. I don't, you know, I don't know where that leaves things with the Jackets right now. Uh, I just saw on my Twitter feed before you guys phoned, you know, someone in Philadelphia has, has given a similar 5,000 person limit. And, you know, the Wells Fargo Center has, has got a game going on tonight with the Flyers in it. So, um, you know, I, I do think it's moving pretty rapidly. I get the sense that this is basically all, uh, the key people at the league and at the players association and, and with a lot of teams that this is all they've really been dealing with is trying to map out contingencies, trying to stay on top of things and, and, you know, figure out what the best course of action is. I mean, the, the, there's not a, there's not a perfect one here. Um, there, there's not a, a right and wrong. I'm certainly not being critical of the league or anything, but I do think that yeah. it's, it's still a little bit, it's still a little bit up in the air and, and um, you know, maybe closing the season down for a couple of weeks and just delaying it is the answer. Um, maybe it's playing in empty arenas. You know, I'm not sure what they're going to land on, but I do think it's pretty clear that, uh, you know, some, some, some things are going down here and, and it is moving pretty quickly. Yeah, no doubt. It is a uh, unprecedented time in the NHL, and it's it's kind of weird to wrap your head around where this story might go. But there are actual hockey things to talk about with our NHL insider, Chris Johnston. He joins us Tuesdays and Thursdays here. My name is Pat Steinberg. His name is Logan Gordon. Uh, CJ, last week we talked on Tuesday as you were just beginning the California swing with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and the Leafs wind up with one point out of their West Coast road trip, and now they wind up uh, one point up on the Florida Panthers heading into action tonight against Tampa Bay. What's the uh, overall feel around Toronto as the, the threat of the Florida Panthers isn't going away anytime soon, it looks like? No, and I think the feel really of the team is that it was a missed opportunity to, to play three games out there. They, they, you know, one of the Leafs' struggles generally this year has been how many goals they give up. In those last two games, they allowed two goals entirely and lost. You only got one point out of four. 
from LA and Anaheim. And so, you know, I think that there was some frustration with that and, and, you know, missed out on a chance to, to put a little more distance between them and the Panthers. And I think you're right. It, it feels like one of these playoff races that'll probably go down to the last week of the season, Florida and Toronto do have one more head to head meeting uh, mm-hmm. left. And, and, um, you know, I think that there's a fair bit of heat. It's, it's, it's fair to say on, on the Leafs right now, just, just coming home from that trip, um, being where they are in the standings and, and then facing a Tampa team. That's, uh, uh, that, that's pretty good. I think the challenge is tall for them, but I uh, think they're trying to, to focus on the positives like Morgan Riley's return to the lineup after Cody Ceci came back in the last game. They're starting to get a little healthier, and uh, they're going to need everyone because it's going to be touch and go to make the playoffs. Yeah, I was going to mention the, the Morgan Riley, definitely a boost uh, uh, on the back uh, back end for the Leafs there, but it's funny because we, we talk about their opponent tonight, Tampa Bay, going to be without Victor Hedman. Any word on how serious that is? We we saw Nathan McKinnon get hurt yesterday uh, in a game against L.A. for Colorado, and then Connor McDavid didn't play, so another potential NHL, a big piece for an NHL team could be out for a bit here. Yeah, my sense with Hedman is that it's not too serious. Um you know, he is traveling with the team and was, was on the ice this morning for the skate. And, and I think they're just being cautious with him. I, I don't think that you're, we're talking about a long-term type of injury and probably one of those ones, if it was a playoff game, you know, he would be playing tonight. But, you know, they have the luxury of being comfortably in a playoff spot. Uh, the, you know, the next 10 or 12 games for them are about putting themselves in the best position to be ready for the playoffs. And, uh, you know, that, that's going to see Hedman get a little bit of rest here, but I don't think he'll be out too long. Uh, one of the other NHL storylines tonight for sure, CJ, the Vancouver Canucks uh, will get Brock Besser back into their lineup. We discussed this a little bit earlier, me and Pat, uh, and it seems a little bit early for Besser to come back on this timeline. We had heard six to eight weeks he was out Feb 8th, so we're talking just about a month uh, for him to return. What do you make of him coming back in the lineup? We, I wonder about maybe desperation for the Canucks who are going through some tough times, and then Jacob Markstrom back skating with the team, not sure that he'll rush it with the UFA status and a potential big contract coming up for himself in the summer. Well, with Besser, I, I do think that what it is is an athlete pushing to be back and, and wanting to be part of the battle with his team. You know, the Canucks have gone through a difficult stretch here. Uh, you know, haven't been able to put many points in the bank. They've seen their own playoff cushion uh, disappear uh, as a result. And, and so, you know, it might be on a little bit on the early end for him, but, you know, I would think that that's, that, that's coming from the player more than anything that, that he wants to play and, and do what he can to help his team out. And, you know, they, they, they struggled a little bit to score goals here the last little stretch. So I think that uh, certainly he's someone who can, can do that and jumping back in a lineup. And I bet uh, his effort will be well received in the dressing room just by the other players who know that uh, he's, he's pushing to get back and join them. You know, I, I don't know exactly where Markstrom stands at this point. Uh, I would think, you know, even with UFA status that, that he will push it though. I believe he, he might've had, an option of two surgeries, one that would have kept him out longer and the one he ended up going through uh, with a shorter recovery time. And so, you know, I, I do think that, that he wants to, to do whatever he can to help the Canucks, but obviously, yeah, physically, especially with your goaltender, I think you've you got to be, be careful and uh, be mindful that they're ready before throwing them back in there in these big games. One more on the uh, on the Canucks. What are you hearing on Markstrom, and not so much from a contract standpoint, but more so a return standpoint? The Canucks announced today that he has started skating. Like, is this is this something that could be imminent for Vancouver getting their MVP back here? Well, I certainly think he'll be in there as soon as he can, and and obviously this is the next step being on the ice. But you know, with a knee injury and the way a goaltender moves, you know, I think it, they've, they've got to be careful, and I'm sure they will be careful that. 
you know, just because he's back skating doesn't mean he's playing in three days or something like that. I do think that there's still a process that he's got to go through to, to get himself uh, to, to health. And, and, you know, goalies tend to struggle a little bit more than players with knee injuries just because of how they go down the crease and they're, uh, they're, they're bending their movements and those types of things. So I think it's a positive sign for, for Vancouver. But, you know, I think it should also be pointed out, even though they've been losing, you know, Patrick Demko's played pretty well for them, especially the last three or four games here. And that, and, and so it maybe takes some of the, the pressure off, if you want to call it that, to, for Markstrom to rush back. But uh, obviously the welcome is return when he does, because I think he was a big reason why they had built up a six or seven point playoff cushion uh, at the time he got injured. With Chris Johnston, our NHL insider, Tuesdays and Thursdays here on Pinder and Steinberg. Uh, where where are you on these playoff races right now? Uh, I know Logue's asked you about where the Maple Leafs are and, and with Florida now knocking on the door with a huge win over St. Louis yesterday. Like, things are tight in both conferences right now. Players have said that this is the tightest they've ever seen it. They've never seen anything quite like this before, but I'm curious as to your observations as to where these races are. Well, it feels like really that there's not a lot of separation between teams. You know, even some of the really good teams, of which, you know, I had Pittsburgh as one of those, you know, has gone through a, a pretty tough struggle here the last, you know, week or two uh, and, and dropped a lot of games and, and you know, have Sidney Crosby calling tonight's game a must-win for them. Um, you know, I, I, it just seems that that, that that parody word is real. I don't think that it's it's something the league just throws out there. I, I, you know, I think that we're going to see some – uh, surprises, you know, when it comes to the playoffs, as we had last year in the first round, a few teams uh, like the Islanders and the Hurricanes had success that, that I don't think most people uh, would have expected them to in the first round. And it just, to me, comes down to the fact that uh, we, we don't have a, a huge separation in, in how the teams perform. And so, you know, the playoff races for sure are going to go down to the last day of the season. I, I don't really see any way around it just because there's so many teams involved and uh, it shifts from night to night. And so, you know, for me, it's it's exciting. I, I don't. I'm not a huge fan of uh, the the three point games at times. I'm not a, a huge fan of the, the divisional playoff format. But you can't really argue with the results in terms of producing some of the the excitement um, that that it does. Uh, you know, right now. So, what about the? Excuse me. What do you? What about the NHL? Is is this? Is this something that the NHL, from a three point game standpoint? Do they like this? Do they like the fact that so many teams are in the race and playing relevant hockey right down to the wire? They definitely do, you know, because uh, it, it is exciting. I mean, if you're a fan of a team, you're watching the standings every day. You know, if you're one of the teams on the bubble and you're watching all the out-of-town games, I mean, I, I think that, that there's some positives to that. I just don't always know if if, if the way that the format is is the most fair. Um, you know, I think that if you're doing three-point games, it should be three points for a regulation win, and then you could do two and one. Uh, split for for overtime or shootout wins, what have you, but um, you know that would create more of a, a gap between teams, and I think it would, um, you know, probably not have the playoff races seem as close as they feel right now. And let's face it, part of that appearance is what the league is selling. It's selling, um, you know, the stretch drive right now. So you know, I, I don't think at the NHL level there's any any distaste at all for this. I, I think that they they're pretty comfortable with the divisional playoff format, even. Um, you know, I, it's just if I was in charge, I'd, I'd probably do things a little differently. Yeah. It's, uh, so what What was your do – you, have you come up with the Chris Johnston solution? Is there – does CJ have his NHL 2.0 and, and how he would roll it out? Well, I would probably make a Canadian division, but there's travel issues and all this stuff in that one. But, you know, one thing I, I think that worked better than we have now is just one day eight in each conference, I think, is, is a little bit more fair. And – 
you know, when you have a division with two or three of the best teams in the league in it, it's just, it's, it's, it seems to me that that's not really the best way to reward those teams for their performance in regular season is make them then have to play the third best team in the league or, or what have you, as we've seen with Boston and Tampa the last couple of years, uh, you know, over in the Atlantic division. So, you know, I, I, I like the, 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 the format for divisional playoffs or for conference playoffs one day. Um, you know, the, the, the counter argument to that that the league would come up with is, you know, you, you get more Pittsburgh Washington series by doing it this way. You're going to get, hopefully at some point a battle of Alberta because of this, because uh, you know, the, the teams that are playing in the same division then have to play each other for the first two rounds. But I just think that you're sort of artificially creating that uh, matchup a little bit. And, um, you know, again, I, I'm not, I don't, I don't, this isn't a huge platform item for me, but I do <laughs> find at times that, that uh, I just don't like the way, you know, what it, what it results in. Uh, but I should stress that they, they don't seem to have any issue with it at the league level. No, I'm going to radio for you for sure. And when we tweet out, when we tweet out our headline, this is Chris Johnston homerism from Toronto. It's going to no say, more Toronto Boston series. That's we, what we're getting at. When here. we tweet it out, it's going to say uh, Chris Johnston hates the <laughs> NHL. That's uh, that's how we're going to radio you. Johnston well, against look, Battle of Alberta playoff series. And let's be clear, there's no guarantee of Toronto any one playoff series at this point. So <laughs> that's a good point. By <laughs> there you go. That's yeah, good point. Uh, thank you, CJ. We will talk on Thursday. Great stuff as always. All right, boys. Talk then. That's Chris Johnston, our NHL insider, joins us Tuesdays, Thursdays here on Pinder and Steinberg. I got to be honest with you, even during that interview, more and more like I'm talking with the Flames and, and talking with the boss, this this COVID-19 thing is the biggest challenge I think that we have ever seen at least in my lifetime when it comes to professional sports and continuing to deliver professional sports to a group of fans or, or a country, a continent that is used to a certain way of their sport being delivered, a certain immediacy in their sport being delivered. Like, this is... And I, I know, like, I, I've seen it on Twitter and I, I understand it, like... You've seen different media people bemoaning the fact that they can't be sitting beside players and, and can't Ken, be. Ken Rosenthal from The Athletic and ESPN was the one who put out an article last night, specifically almost to the point of fear-mongering that his point was that this is going to lead to the end of locker room access permanently. And I, I don't believe I, that. Here's here's why I don't believe that's the case. Because you know how much longer players have to stick around oh, to do it like this? Yeah. That, like, i I got to be perfectly honest with you. This is not the end of lot for, no. for all of my media people listening. This is not the end of locker room access. Wes Gilbertson made the point. He's like, this took us like an extra 45 minutes or yeah. an hour. And if, we're not complaining about it. We'll do our job. But I'm talking from a player standpoint. They want to get the hell out of here. From they don't want to stick around. Standpoint, we had Dalton and Kelso in here telling us, dude, there was so much more that we had to go around and do and get everything together You know together how much easier it is for the players to just get it all done in a quick 15-minute shot? That's why locker yeah. room access is not going anywhere, at least for our standpoint. It is being banned temporarily for good reasons. But this is a – like the amount that this is changing the landscape of pro sports, the landscape of how it's going to be broadcast and telecast. Like, are we going to be have, like, are we going to be having 
broadcast crews on the road for the mm-hmm. next number? I have no idea. Yep. I honestly don't know. You know, like whether it's Derek and Lou, whether it's uh, Jack and Bob. Well, like, are, are they only calling home games? And are we going to have to start taking road broad? Like, I have no idea what's going to happen here. Thursday when the Islanders come around, what kind of access, vice versa? What are they going to be, you know, looking for when they come? What kind of access is going to happen with that? All of that is still up in the air. Like, we really have no idea. And even I wanted to bring this up as we were chatting with CJ. Uh, another interesting thing comes up. The Columbus Blue Jackets came out, and despite Basically a recommendation said. from their governor that says we probably shouldn't have large groups of people at indoor sporting events or entertainment events, it's probably just not a good idea, they said, you know what, we've talked to the NHL. We're going to do it anyways. How many stories like this are we going to hear, right, where, you know, Going, I think the you know, talk about government level recommendations. It's probably a pretty serious thing, but holy man, you know, now we're talking about teams that are just going to say, "Screw it, we, we're not going to reschedule our game. We're not going to totally change what we do to go ahead and, and change this because of you know COVID nineteen. But it's crazy because these just come out. There's been like ten different ones on my Twitter feed since we talked to CJ. It's bonkers. It is a. Uh... Bonker situation and a uh, I this is not a permanent new world that we're living in I don't believe but it is definite definitely a new world that we're living in for the time being between five and six o'clock we will bring you inside the NHL it's brought to you by Calgary Co-op where it pays to be a member earn money towards your annual member refund with every fill at your local Calgary Co-op gas station well the scare is hit close to home as well our own Peter Klein has been Unable to come to work for the last 10 days or so. We're going to check in on Peter Klein's self-isolation. Has his wife killed him yet? We'll find out next. Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg, Calgary Sports Talk in the afternoon. Brought to you by Glenmore Audi, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You know who's been conspicuously absent for the last month on this radio station? Ryan Pinder. Fair point. Um, but also, here's a person that I've actually missed. When oh, he, oh so when you should have said that. That would have known point. right away. Um, we have not seen Peter Klein for almost a month. Uh, about two weeks of that, he mm-hmm. was on his honeymoon with his lovely wife, Kim. That sounds great. Uh, it was, and, and two of my favorite humans yeah. are Kim and Peter, mostly Kim. I was just saying. But uh, they went on their honeymoon. Just so happens that where they were going Palm was Springs. very no no um, Croatia no Hawaii Hawaii no uh, they went to the beautiful island of Japan which sounded amazing mm. until uh, the outbreak of COVID nineteen and obviously Japan being far closer proximity to China than yeah. where we are yeah uh, Klein came back and has been in self isolation ever since that's what we're calling it right Klein it's not quarantine it's self isolation you're saving us yes. Yeah, quarantine would suggest that there is something wrong. And while there is a lot wrong with me, uh, this one is not one of them yet. Uh, (laughs) So it's it's just self-isolation right now. Are you going stir-crazy? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, it's um, two weeks is a long time to just be in 800 square feet with the same person, who is an amazing person, uh, but also two cats. And it's the same area uh, where our cats go to the bathroom all the time. So that's, that's been... It's been weird, um, and it's it's getting kind of old now. But uh, it's, it's 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 okay. It's fine. How, how's the marriage gone? The honeymoon was supposed to be two weeks, and now it's like a month. Is everything everything good between you guys? You're still kicking it all right. 
Uh, as as far as I know, things are still good. I think she's going stir crazier than I am. She's okay. used to having things like friends and a social life, which is a little foreign to me. Um, so th- so is she been, is she in self isolation as well? Uh, that is correct. Yes, she's oh uh, she's she's in the same thing I am. So um, with her work, she can do some of it from home. Um, so she's been able to pretend that things are at least a little bit normal, but. Uh, yeah, no, she's been she's been stuck beside me this whole time. You know, and like we we just know how much this is grinding, Kirsch. Right? He's like, ah, uh, yeah, oh yeah, uh, I'm not paying I'm not paying you to be at home. Uh, uh, so what we we've obviously like you have to have been doing something. Like you helped a lot on our uh, UFC show, Combat Central, on Saturday. Um, you got the, that prep you uh, helped me out with was I- immensely important. As I am nowhere near as dialed in on mixed martial arts as either you or G. So that was extremely helpful. What else have you been doing here? Uh, well, for the last couple days, I have been tasked with putting together uh, this day in Flames history um, scripts, which, if you didn't know that, means that it's been incredibly helpful to the station. So I feel very proud about that. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that has been my, my task the last little bit. And I'll be honest, I don't remember what it was before the, the UFC stuff. It was something. I just don't particularly remember what it was. But, yeah, it's been... A lot of a lot of those types of things. So I've I've become very familiar with HockeyReference.com over the last few days, and um, seeing that it was, I've, man, if you're still a Flames fan, kudos because there was about a decade there where like it went from well, Joe Noondike had five goals on this day, and in 1996, Valerie Bure had two assists. It, it's it it falls off a cliff quick. So kudos to Flames fans for sticking through that. But uh, that's. That's been my time over the last little bit, has been reliving the wonderful run of Oleg Saprikin and Valerie Bure with the Calgary Hey, hey, you, you watch your mouth, mouth on Oleg Saprikin. He scored <laughs> like one of here. Oleg Saprikin, no, no word of a lie. Where would it be? Number two, number three most important goal in Calgary Flames history? At least top five. Like that, that game five winner mm-hmm. in Tampa – is is like that that put them a game away from winning the if Stanley they, Cup. If they won the cup that would honestly be probably the biggest goal in Flames. And and I think that uh, since 1989 that's the biggest goal that has been scored by anybody on this. So that's like what 30 years Oleg Saprikin is the most important goal scorer. I mean Marty Jelena had a few of them in in 2004 as well mm-hmm. so it all depends on but the stakes and where it was in the series. That was a pretty but so you watch your mouth on Oleg Saprikin. Yeah, okay, my my apologies. There, there, was, there was there was one I saw. It was because uh, apparently this week in Flames history was when Sven Berchi was getting getting everyone all hot and bothered during that three game stretch. Oh yeah, um, that's the right. The emergency and, recall of Sven Berchi. Portland yes, winter yeah, exactly. Um, and his first goal is from Jerome Ginla, which wow, awesome. And Roman Horak, and I just I was like, man, they put Jerome through a lot sometimes. Like that's, <laughs> whew, okay. But yeah, no, that's that's been my that's been my last few days anyway. So, so what happened on this date, March ninth? Like, give, what, give us a March ninth this date in Calgary Flames history. March tenth, rather. Today's March tenth. Yeah. Give us a March tenth this date in Calgary Flames history. Well, uh, I just sent the script off to. Uh, well, I sent the script in yesterday. I've been working a day ahead because I mean you have to have everything ready for the morning, right? So you can't just be messing around with today's stuff until three o'clock. This is. Vital information. Uh, but on this day, against the Vancouver Canucks, the Flames won 11-2. to uh, Bob McMillan scoring a hat-trick in that game. 
1984, they beat the defending Stanley Cup champion New York Islanders. So there's that. Uh, there's one from 1988. And then, no kidding, the next line after, uh, the Flames go on to win 5-3 against the Jets. The next line is, 20 years later, the Flames were at home taking on the St. Louis Blues, and Owen Nolan got an assist from, uh, on a goal from Alex Tongay. So, there, again, we're talking about a bit of a gap there, but that's, yeah, there those is. are just some of the tidbits. Did you ever see the movie, what was it called? Um, the Village? Was it The Village, the M. Night Shyamalan movie? I would movie? say that Klein has probably seen a lot of movies because he's been quarantined, but he doesn't like movies, That's so he probably hasn't seen seen it. a lot of anime. But, uh, the, the, yeah. but The Village, I believe The Village... 1993 WWF Wrestling, sure. I believe, the Village, <laughs> nope. I believe M. Night Shyamalan, was, it was The Village, whatever it was. It was the whole thing is like the people, the, those who we do not speak. Mm-hmm. That's the, the stretch that Peter Klein is talking about. Those are the years we do not speak of when it comes to the Calgary Flames. So, uh, yeah, and by the never... way, that's not, that's not me cherry picking. That's like legitimately they went 20 years without winning on this day. Uh, now, there are some where they didn't play, obviously, but th- that wasn't just me like, ah, that game wasn't all that. It was, I just went through every win and put it in, and there was actually just a 20 year gap for March 10th. So, that movie was yeah. really bad, by the way. Like, just good. a junk movie. I, no. M. Night Shyamalan is the most overrated director in the hi- or writer, or whatever the hell he is, in the history of, of movies, I believe. Hot wow. take. Wow. Uh, sure. No. no, I think a lot of people would probably agree with that. <laughs> so, Klein, I, assuming... I'm definitely the wrong person to ask. Yes, yeah, you are. You are. So, assuming you don't get something that eventually ends your life from this trip, how was Japan? How was the two week honeymoon? Oh, it was amazing. I loved every minute in Japan. And. Yeah, I would I would go back in a heartbeat. I mean, I would probably wait a few weeks. You wouldn't be allowed um, to go back in a heartbeat. No, no. But once once allowed, I would I would definitely go back if they if they just raised the the handlebars and the stuff on um, the doors on trains like a two to three inches. It would be the perfect mm-hmm. country. Uh, how much definitely... how much taller were you? Like what? Like literally? Like uh, we've seen movies and stuff like that where like you're you're seeing a a shot of Tokyo and there's this towering human being. Were you that towering human being? Yes, yes, I was. Uh, I saw two other people <laughs> my size uh, on the trip, and they were both a lot skinnier than I was. So I was just the large. <laughs> I was the largest human being that I saw um, on this trip, and like no kidding. I'm the height of their top shelf in grocery stores. Like we were walking through, huh, this is, this is weird. And they're all like, not just shorter, but I, I cannot stress enough the thin aspect of things. So I would have to go like sideways through some aisles and stuff like that. It was, it was a bit of an adjustment for sure. Uh, we're with Peter Klein, who uh, remains in self-isolation after his honeymoon in Japan. Uh, some questions. Uh, did you? How was the New Japan show? It was incredible. We, we kind of lucked out. It was the retirement night for their longtime referee, so kind of their version of Earl Hebner was Earl retiring. Hebner. Yes. Uh, I knew that would get you. Uh, so yeah, does he, does he have? Does he have a? Does he have a brother as well that was kind of involved, but not really? No, they they There's weren't. No, able Dave to Hebner. The, no, they weren't able to do the twin angle of 1988 with Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan with uh, Tiger Hattori. But uh, because of this, they had unbeknownst to us a number of legends that were coming back, and there were middle-aged men around us just weeping as great Muda and great Kabuki came back from retirement for this one show, like actual tears streaming down faces. 
rounds of applause. It was it was a really really cool experience. Now, you were trying to learn some Japanese before this. Did it work? Was it successful in any way, shape, or form, or was it a giant failure? Well, here's the problem. The more I would speak Japanese to them, they would then speak Japanese back to me. And, That's a problem. I mean, yeah. those selfish, selfish people know more than six phrases out there. So it, it was... Speaking after, their own after, language, after, how dare they? Yeah, just... So selfish. Uh, so after after a couple days, I was just, do you speak English? Great. And more, more often than not, the response was a little bit, which meant I know enough English that I can point out what you're saying on this menu, and that's about it. So See, but like that's that, that unlike unlike in Europe when you go there and you say, uh, speaks to English, and they say, uh, not very well. And then they they start to have a conversation about world politics with you, and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, you speak it better than I do. I'm like, how well do you speak German then? Uh, so it wasn't quite like that, is what you're saying? No, no, it was not like that. It was honestly a lot like that Family Guy, where the guy said, no, I only speak one or two sentences of English, that first one, and this one explaining it. That that's basically <laughs> what it was. Is they. They learned enough English that if someone dumb enough like me would ask, do you know English, they could point out large coffee on a menu. That was that was most of it. Okay, so what was the uh, – did you get to any other events? Did you get to a sumo show? Uh, no, there, there was no sumo going on at the time. And uh, at the time, we thought we just missed baseball season. Uh, turns out we're going to miss it by a bunch now. But um, we didn't, didn't get to much like that sports-wise. There was ads everywhere for the, the start, start of the soccer season and the start of the baseball season, but we the New Japan was the only athletic venture that we were able to see. What about the Olympics? Like, How big of a deal? Like, Did you get a lot of Olympic feel in Tokyo? Yeah, there's construction everywhere um, as they're updating things, getting ready for, for the Olympics. And you could start to see a lot of the logos, the mascots were everywhere, but yeah, there was a lot of a lot of venues getting updated, and a lot of the transit was getting updated with uh, the thought of uh, the Olympics in mind. So yeah, there was there was definitely a feel of that, and that was that was really when everything kind of turned with how aware people were out there of uh, the coronavirus situation. Was when the announcement came from the IOC that look, if if you guys don't have this thing figured out by May, we're probably going to have to move this or postpone it or whatever. And that's when you started to see a lot more things getting shut down and a lot more things having hand sanitizer all over the place and more announcements. That, that seemed to really trigger people to be, okay, this is maybe more serious than we're taking it right now. Yeah. What was the, like, did you use the trains? Because that, that to me is fascinating. Like, were you, did you ever use the Tokyo Metro or, or the commuter rail? We were on the, um, uh, it was just, for us, it was the, the JR line. There was only one night where it was that what you picture a Tokyo train to look like, where people are like not even holding on to anything because you're so packed in, there's no way you can move anyway. And while I was the biggest person on there, I certainly wasn't the strongest because I was getting just thrown around as people were trying to get on and off the train. I was like, man, some of you guys should try football because like, I'm not super easy to move. And I was just getting thrown all over the place. But no, that was, that was the only time uh, where it was, Super stacked. We we did the the bullet train a few times, and that thing's amazing. So would 
if you're traveling in Japan, would have to recommend that. Okay. I have to ask you about the food, Klein. Was there anything – how adventurous are you or were you on the trip? How Was much there anything... red tuna did you eat? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it wasn't a lot. We didn't – we didn't go super adventurous with the food when we had, um, I, I believe it's called takoyaki, which is just balls of dough and octopus fried with some cheese in there. On a personal note, I'm very happy to hear that you weren't super adventurous on your Japan trip. <laughs> <laughs> just for uh, my yeah. own personal health yeah. safety. I'm a, that's the, that's oh, the yeah, no, 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 it was fine. Yeah, uh, the, the thing that kind of disappointed me was uh, the sushi, honestly, because... Um, as has been discussed with the, uh, the the hot AF wing challenge and stuff like that, I'm not a big spice type of person. And they, to stick the sushi onto the rice, they just used the, the wasabi, which oh, yeah. didn't didn't react with my mouth the way I would have intended it to. So that was that was a bit of a, a downer for me. But they um, they have this like jelly pop out there where you shake it and it breaks all the jelly up, and that's how it gets fizzy, and it's incredible. So there's there's a couple things I would like to bring over here for sure. Hmm. The I like I'm the op, like I'm I've got a bit of a sushi issue. I'm addicted. Um, but like, you're not supposed to mix the wasabi with the soy sauce, but I do anyway just because I really like the taste. But like, they'll give you like the the little flour of the wasabi, and it just goes right. Like, I'll use the whole thing, and like I'm. Like it, you get to the point where, like, every time you have a bite, you throw your head back because you're getting punched in the face, and I love it. Like, I, I, I love that. So I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed that you uh, didn't love the actual Japanese wasabi sushi experience. And how was the ramen? Oh, the ramen. We went to one ramen place, like super old school. Only six people can sit in the restaurant. You have to order it from a button thing outside and hand it to a guy who's two days older than God, and he cooks it up for you. And that was unbelievable. One of my favorite foods on the trip. So when it was done well, it was great. But we also had one ramen place where both of us were sick after. So it okay. was good on the uh, on the the, the ramen the, the ramen front. So if it's if the place looks old and decrepit, they probably have great ramen. Okay. Okay. That's good to good know. To know right uh, sounds like your trip was different than Pinder's 48-hour trip to Tokyo. Um, I like your trip better. So uh, That can't be yeah. a surprise to anyone, though. That doesn't surprise me <laughs> one bit. And I'm honestly, I feel so much better about Kleiner's trip than, than Pinder's. I do as well. Uh, we'll see you soon, brother. Uh, we miss you. I uh, miss you guys, too. And I know you're lying, but I appreciate it. So thank you. No, I, miss, I miss nuzzling into the nape yeah. of your neck. <laughs> I miss Hi. your general positivity. Uh, time for you to go, Klein. Bye, Have Peter. a good day. <laughs> Ron, I miss your musk. Thanks for ruining that, Pat. I miss the little face you made. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. I need you, Ron. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's Peter Klein. Who's just there going, I miss your musk, Peter? It's <sighs> an awkward way to finish off the segment. Uh, it's Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Brought to you by Glenmore Audi. The league has researched, you know, what the best procedure they feel is to do. And, you know, the teams have been involved in that. And so we feel like, you know, between the team and the league in terms of what they've done to set up and protect everybody against potential exposure to the virus that it's you know that it's a 
a good first step, and then we'll see what happens from here. But I don't think anybody wants to play to empty buildings by any stretch of the imagination. But, uh, you know, it's always a lot more fun when the buildings are full. But we'll see how it goes. It's the head coach of the Calgary Flames, Jeff Ward. The new reality of the NHL has hit home. Us media can't be more than six feet, or can't be less than six feet, rather. Um, Try that again. We need to be six feet or further away from players right now. That's the NHL's mandate. So no one-on-one interviews, no scrums, all done at podiums. Uh, that was a little bit different. It's it's a it's a different world that we're living in right now, and I think it's only the beginning of what we're going to see from an NHL standpoint. Um, and it's it's only the beginning of the measures that I think that are going to be taken to try to prevent the spread of coronavirus. Here's a little bit from the captain, Mark Giordano. It's concerning when something like this is is going on, and um, I think uh, all we can do, to be honest, as as players, is we know we're in a we're in great hands, and being uh, in Calgary here in in a low risk area, but uh, we know that the league's going to put every every measure in place to make sure you know we can prevent as much of uh, of the spread, if you want to call it that, uh, as we can. I think it's something that. Uh, you know, has come come quick in the in the world on the news, and, and we're all aware of what's going on. So we want to be really safe with this. And here is a release that just came down one minute ago from Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation. I'll read it to you verbatim. The health, safety, and well-being of our fans and staff remain the most important priority of Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation. We want to assure our guests and employees that we have implemented a number of precautionary and preventative measures so that fans can feel safe while attending events at the Scotiabank Saddledome. We continue to monitor information disseminated from Alberta Health Services and Health Canada regarding COVID-19 while Alberta Health Services continues to deem Alberta a low risk for COVID-19. CSEC is reviewing policies and plans to ensure we all take precautions to protect our employees and guests. As precautions, CSEC has enhanced sanitizing measures at the Scotiabank Saddledome, which include additional hand sanitizing stations, sanitizing equipment, and cleaning staff. There's also increased cleaning frequency throughout the Saddledome in all heavy public areas, uh, heavy traffic public areas such as washrooms, lobbies, and elevators. As recommended by Alberta Health Services, anyone with symptoms or feeling unwell should consider staying home. As a source of information on COVID-19, we recommend that staff, guests and staff, go to alberta.ca as an informed source of information. That just coming down a couple minutes ago from the Calgary Flames. So that continues to be a moving target, evolving and developing story. We're trying to stay on top of it as best as humanly possible. Tune in every weekday with Will Nault. It's full disclosure at 6.45 a.m. It's brought to you by BMW Motorworks, the only in independent shop that works exclusively on BMWs and will beat any competitor's quotes on 51st Ave and 3rd Street Southeast or Google Motor Works Calgary. I've got another goaltending question to bounce off our daily Calgary Flames roundtable, but a different one than usual. We will do that next as we continue on Pinder and Steinberg. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon. Brought to you by Glenmore Audi. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back to the Scotiabank Saddledome where... For the first time, it felt like a little bit of a different world covering hockey. And, and I I really need to catch myself because I know that if you're driving home right now, 
you don't really care how I cover hockey. And so I'm not trying to portray this to you as, oh, well, look at how different my job is now. No, that's not what it is. It's more of an indication of how things are changing, period. Not just the way the media covers hockey, but the way that hockey is going to be broadcast, the way that games are going to come to you, and whether or not we're going to be playing games in buildings with fans, whether or not we're going to be playing games at all. I guess for me, and as we convene our daily Calgary Flames roundtable, it's Pat Steinberg and Logan Gordon at the Scotiabank Saddledome, and now the radio voice of the Calgary Flames, Derek Wills, joins us. Willsy, I, I think today, just with the brand-new media policies, it just kind of hit home that whether it be the NHL or the NBA or soon-to-be Major League Baseball, we're kind of very much entering an unprecedented time when it comes to covering professional sports and, more importantly, just for everybody when it comes to watching, consuming, and presenting professional sports in North America. Yeah, I mean, scary times. And thankfully, we're pretty safe, or at least at this point, we're pretty safe here in Alberta. But obviously, there are places uh, elsewhere in Canada and to a greater extent in the United States and to a greater extent overseas that are, are dealing with this uh, on a much more serious level. So it is a time that's going to be challenging for us as members of the sports media. But obviously, uh, those problems are, are minuscule in comparison to what some other people are dealing with here. Uh, I must admit it was strange. Uh, the media of L today and not having a chance to just chat with guys off the record. And, you know, it'll be weird on Thursday, not having a chance to, to be face to face with whoever I'm interviewing for flames warm up. But, you know, these are small challenges that we'll figure out and, and move forward. I mean, I, I hope we don't get to the point where we're calling games in arenas that don't, don't have any fans. As I've said before, the fans for me are another member of the broadcast team. I mean, I always get our engineers to pump up the crowd noise as much as they can because uh, I, I love the, the booing and I love the cheering and I love just having them as part of the broadcast. So I, I certainly hope we don't get to that point, but uh, I guess y you have to be safe as opposed to sorry. So I understand why teams and leagues are doing what they're doing and, and we'll just have to try to work around it. Yeah, it's... I think it's all minor inconveniences where we are right now, and we'll try to, you know, we'll adjust as we need to from here, but hopefully it doesn't lead to, to bigger things. But the fact of the matter is it's, there's still a lot of unknowns, I think, in, in what's going to happen from here on out. We're starting to prepare for those sort of things as best we can, but we really just it's, it seems to be a day-by-day -day process. And even as we go through the show the last few days, Pat, you know, things come out every hour that seem to change you know, in Columbus, they're going to allow fans. Last night in Santa Clara, they're, you know, they're not going to go with fans at the SAP Center. So for me, it's just an evolving situation. I hope it doesn't get to, you know, really serious circumstances like empty buildings and that sort of stuff. But at the same time, at this point, it wouldn't surprise me. Well, nothing would surprise me, to be perfectly honest, at this point, gentlemen. Like, I, I am kind of at this point from a sports perspective – I'm prepared for anything. You know, I know that we have not had anywhere near the same rate of uh, infections as we've seen, obviously, in the Far East, but even overseas in Europe. We haven't gotten to that point, especially in Alberta, but, you know, it's starting to go down that road in California. It's starting to go down that road in some other U.S. states. And so, 
like I, I absolutely am prepared for anything. And the situation in Santa Clara County is is fascinating. An absolute ban on gatherings of more than a thousand people for a stretch of time that covers three San Jose Sharks games. So we don't know what that means for the Sharks yet. Does that mean that they're going to play in front of 999 fans? Does that mean they're going to play in front of zero fans? Does that mean they're going to go somewhere else where they can play? Does that mean they're going to play their home games on the? I have no idea what any of this means. And and that's why I say it's unprecedented. I don't think that this is going to be the last. Columbus basically said that we're not going to, for the time being, uh, listen to a recommendation by the governor of Ohio to do a similar thing. Uh, we've seen two leagues in Germany and Austria shut down for the season. Like, guys, I, I am prepared for pretty much anything, whether it be a season being canceled, a season being postponed, being played in empty arenas. I don't want to see I don't want to see any of these things. But I think at this point, I'm I'm kind of preparing for all of it because I, I don't think any of it is off the table right now. Well, I mean, we have to prepare for everything. Uh, otherwise, we're going to be unprepared if, if things change. And I think things are going to change moving forward and, and hopefully change for the better. But it's, uh, it's frightening. Uh, I, I mean, I do feel safe here in Alberta, so that's the good news. And, and maybe I'm foolish to feel that way. Uh, I can tell you that I, I wash my hands probably more than anybody else I know. And that, <laughs> that isn't just because of the coronavirus. I'm, it's always been that way. But uh, hopefully everybody does what they can to, to prevent the, the spread of this disease. And uh, again, it's, um, it's going to create some challenges uh, for a lot of people and, and many different lines of work, including us. But uh, we'll, we'll figure our way through this and, and hopefully they can get this contained sooner rather than later. Now to some hockey news. It's Pat Steinberg, Logan Gordon, and Derek Wills on your daily Calgary Flames round table. Uh, and to some good hockey news from a Flames standpoint. All signs point to Travis Hamanick being back in the lineup on Thursday. That's not a guarantee, but it sure does feel like it's trending that way. If it's not Thursday, it's in the very near future. Derek, what does Hamanick's return do for the Calgary Flames? Well, it's exciting because uh, I don't think you can have enough Travis Hamannick types at this time of the year. Certainly not once you get to the Stanley Cup playoffs, because as we've talked about time and time again during his time with the team, he is an absolute warrior. He will do whatever it takes to win. And the more of those guys you have, I think the better your chances are to win when the games get hard. And the games have been hard for quite some time, and I think they're going to continue to get harder as teams fight for playoff spots and for playoff positioning. And then certainly once you get to the postseason, that's when uh, the real battle of attrition begins. And, and I think the more guys you have, like Travis Hamannick, who are willing to, to do whatever it takes, whether that be to, to skate through a brick wall, to, to take a punch in the face, to defend a teammate, to, to block a shot with whatever part of his body it takes, I, I like your chances to win if you've got a bunch of those guys. So you get him back, you've got tons of depth on defense. And assuming the injury to Noah Hannafin, which I know some people are saying is a concussion and that he's in concussion protocol. We were we not know that. that information today. Yeah. No, he's yeah. in some sort of injury protocol. So I think that's important to point out. But I mean, it's it's possible that he could play as soon as Thursday against the Islanders. Jeff Ward didn't rule out a return for Thursday's game for Hannafin. Once you get him back, once you get Hamannick back, 
Now you've got nine NHL defensemen on your roster. Now, Bradshaw Levy might make a move at that point in time and send Oliver Shillington down to the American Hockey League Stockton Heat, but we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, even if they do that, you've got him, a left shot, and Alex Ellis in a right shot, who I think can both play at this level. And then you'd, you'd certainly have a difficult decision to make as far as who plays in your top six. Or, and I was thinking about this on the way home from the rink today, what if they decide to go seven forwards or seven defensemen, 11 forwards? Mm. Because I think it would be really tough to take one of the new guys out. I think Derek Forbort and Eric Gustafson have both brought something important to this team. And beyond that, I don't think you're taking anybody out who was in your top six before you made those two moves at the NHL's trade deadline. But he obviously gives you more depth. He's a top four guy who you can use in pretty much any situation, less obviously in the power play, but you'll see him on the penalty kill. You'll see him on the ice when you're trying to protect the one goal lead in the final minute of the third period. He just, he, he offers you so much. Uh, yeah. I think the flames are getting back something in Travis Hamnick that they, they don't have a lot of in all of their defense at least in the top six is that really, you know, hard nosed, physical, tough to play against, uh, uh, defenseman, and I'm excited for to see Travis Hamnick. I, you never want to see anybody get injured, but the style of play that Travis, you know, plays leads to injuries and probably a lot of tough seasons playing through injuries and that sort of thing. So I'm I'm kind of excited, guys, to see Travis come back after having some time off here and you know really being motivated. He's coming right back in as the Flames are in a playoff push. We know how important he's going to be if this team wants to make the playoffs and do some damage in the playoffs because his game translates so well to that. So maybe this time off winds up being a little bit of a blessing for the Flames and Travis Hamonic, who you know could come back and you know we know he's going to log minutes. We know he's going to be in the top four and killing penalties, and that's just what Travis does. But, you know, maybe some time off here really helps him bring that game when the Flames need it most here over the next few weeks. I don't have a lot to add on the Hamannick front. I, I am curious to see what the, the – I'm, I'm with you, Derek. I am curious to see what the pairings look like uh, if, when, uh, both Hamannick and Hannafin are in the lineup as we don't know what Hannafin's status is for the game on Thursday against the New York Islanders. And I'm, I'm curious if they would go seven defensemen or if they would take – like if they weren't going to do that, it would probably be Forbert coming out of the lineup for me. But I, I absolutely think – going with seven defensemen and 11 forwards is an option the the final thing that ha we haven't broached that I'll, I'll kind of throw into the conversation too is once they do get to nine forwards and nine defensemen rather if they get there almost you'd have to think that almost certainly Oliver Shillington would go to the American League right of of mm -hmm. the group he's the yeah. only one eligible to go down there not only would it be good for him he's able to go down there and play he's he would absolutely help that team he'd come back and probably be the number one defenseman on the Stockton Heat Kale McLean told us yesterday the head coach in Stockton that they'd, they'd start playing him 28 minutes a night because <laughs> yeah. he is an elite American League defenseman it, but it would just it, like that's a lot of defensemen to have at practice there's a lot of puck touches to go around there so you'd think that once everybody is healthy if everybody's all healthy at the same time that that Shillington would be the guy going to the American league and and that would be a way they kind of manage the situation too yeah it makes complete sense i mean he, he's a young player who's still developing he's only 22 years old he has to play and if that means playing at the ahl level then you send him down get him some games and if you need him then he's ready to come back up and i think jump right back in listen i think oliver shillington is an nhl defenseman 
but the Flames are blessed with a lot of depth on the blue line. And again, if everybody's healthy, they're going to have a tough decision to make as far as who goes down. Although that decision might be easier than who is in and who is out. But these are the type of difficult decisions that you have to want to have to make because it means you've got depth at that position. So I think the Flames are in a great spot, especially if, if Hannafin and Hamannick are, even if they both can't play on Thursday, as long as they're able to play sometime soon, then this team should be set on defense. And I kind of wonder what the pairings will look like. I mean, assuming they go with, with six defensemen and not seven, it'll be interesting to see what the pairings look like. They've got two players in TJ Brody and Eric Gustafson who are left shots, but can both play the right side and might prefer to play the right side, but you can always slide them over. And that's what we saw at practice today. They had Mark Giordano and Rasmus Anderson on a pairing, so lefty-righty. And then they had T.J. Brody on the left side with Travis Hamannick on the right side. And then left the third pairing of Eric Gustafson, a lefty, playing on the right side with Derek Forbord on the left side of that third pairing. So we'll have to wait and see if uh, one or both of Hannafin and Hamannick are good to go for Thursday. The other thing, just kind of circling back to, to practicing with nine defensemen, it's awkward. But yeah. if you've got eight defensemen, now you've got four forward lines and maybe one extra that you've got to work in and four defense pairings. So I think from a coach's perspective, having four pairings, so eight defensemen, makes it a little bit easier as far as practice is concerned as well. Yep, no doubt about it. Uh, final thought on our, our final topic on our Daily Calgary Flames roundtable. He's Derek Wills. He's Logan Gordon. My name is Pat Steinberg. Uh, Willsie, you asked a really interesting question while we were doing the media avail this uh, this morning, and you asked it to goaltender David Riddick, and, and essentially you asked, you know, you're an emotional guy, and, and you play with your emotions, and how important is it to kind of be in control of that, to paraphrase basically what your question was. So here is my question to you when it comes to David Riddick. He really is an emotional guy, and, and he plays with his heart in his sleeve, and we've seen that be good, we've seen that be bad. It can kind of be a double-edged sword. But in the long run, is that emotion and the, the way that Riddick plays with his heart on his sleeve, is that in the long run a good thing or a bad thing for you? Let me answer your question with a question. doesn't have to be a detailed answer. It could be yes or no if you want. And, Logan, you can chime in as well. Do you think David Riddick has been the same since the stick flip? Um, it's a fair question, and I've been asked it before. I Probably not. That's, that's probably around the time where, where things maybe started to tail off a little bit. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'd have to go back and look specifically, but that sounds about the, the timeline when things yeah. kind of went this way for David. And that might be a complete coincidence. And, you know, I'd be lying if I was if I sat here and told you that I wasn't entertained by that. I mean, I get it. It was an emotional win. It was emotional calling that win. I can't imagine how it must have felt being the, the winning goaltender in that game against the Oilers. But I think that he he has to use his emotion to his advantage. And I'm not sure that he's done that of late. I, I think he's been wound really tight. And on the flip side of that, I think Cam Talbot has been calm and cool and collected. And I think when your goaltender is that way, your team tends to be that way. And, you know, if, if you fall behind in a game, there's no panic when Talbot's in net. You know, if he gives up a bad one, there's no panic, or at least that's how it looks to me. And if it looks that way to me, I'm guessing it probably looks that way to his teammates as well. And I, I think the, the emotion that David Riddick has and that at times played with plays with can be an advantage, but I also think that it can be a disadvantage. So 
as uh, a young guy as far as goaltenders go because uh, goaltenders uh, tend to take longer to mature at the NHL level than defensemen and, and certainly than forwards. You know, I think 27 is still young, and this guy is still developing, and he's still trying to figure out what does work and what doesn't work. And I think if he can find a way to manage his emotion, I think it can be a positive thing. But right now, I think he's a little bit frustrated because – and, and he threw the date out there, guys. He knows exactly when the – the date was when he won his last game at Scotiabank Saddledome. So what does that tell you? The fact that he knows what date that was yeah. tells me that that's on his mind. And I know how competitive David Riddick is. It's probably driving him absolutely crazy that he hasn't been able to help his team win at home more often. And I think that can lead to frustration. And I think frustration makes everything in life more difficult. So I think he has to take a deep breath. Like Jeff Ward said today, just give yourself to the team. Know that you're not out there alone. You don't have to win games by yourself. Just just do your job. That's all. And I think David Riddick is a talented enough guy, and I think he's a professional enough guy that he can do that. But I think he wants to help this team win so badly that he's probably making it more difficult for himself than he has to. I'll say this, and, and I'll, I defer to the two of you who have spent more time with, with him in the locker room and, and speaking to him than, than I have. And... Um, I, for one, really like the emotion that, that David Riddick plays with. And uh, you see the stick flip. I loved the stick flip. It was an emotional game. It was a, a huge battle of Alberta that's been so hotly contested all year. And uh, I loved that. I love seeing him after the shootouts or any, you know, situations where, he you know, he's pumping the fist or something like that. So the only thing I would really say to it is maybe it's the off-the-ice emotion that he needs to deal with and, and focus with because I love seeing it on the ice. I don't think it's a, a, a negative to his game or a detriment to his game. And, you know, if it's just, you know, managing it between games or when he has to go a stretch like last week where he hasn't played in a while and he's itching to get back at it and, and get that first home win that he hasn't had in a while, that sort of thing is really the only thing that I would say. But I don't, I don't want to see a guy uh, hide in his emotions or – uh, hold something back like that. Uh, we always die for personalities in sports sometimes, and, and I think that's just who David is, and that's what makes him probably as successful as he's been. That emotion's probably driven him to this point in the NHL, and learning how to adapt to it and go through this hardship that he's had the last little while here is probably one of the bigger challenges he's faced as a professional, and I think it's his emotion and that sort of thing that'll probably help him get out of it too in a way. I um I don't think David being an emotional goalie or an emotional player is a bad thing at its core. I think as he continues to grow into being a full-time NHLer, it is as as Logan said a challenge to use it the right way. Because I think there we we've seen emotional goalies before. We've seen goalies who play with their heart in their sleeve before. I think Jonathan one of the Quick. greatest of all time, Jonathan Quick's a good example. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the greatest of all time, Patrick, Patrick Waugh, the guy yeah. that uh, the the guy that David Riddick wears his number because of, is a really good example. So I don't think it's a bad thing that he plays like that. I just think that the big challenge for him now is channeling it in a more productive way, channeling it in more of a focused way, and not letting it be a distraction or a detraction. So that's the next big step for Riddick, because if he could have used that that stick flip in Edmonton and just used it as as more motivation to keep on playing well, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying that that actually did... Um, 
set things sideways because we really don't know. But if if he can use that emotion and and use that fire in more of a positive way and and far more than not in a positive way, then I think it's a good thing. So I think at its core, it's really good if he can start to channel it a little bit more. I'm going to tell you a short little story here just to try to offer perspective on the other side of things. So when I was in the American Hockey League, it was 2006, 2007, and this 19-year-old kid joined us right out of junior hockey. Uh, his name was Kerry Price, and he became the starting goaltender with three games remaining in the regular season. He played all three, went two and one. Don Lieber is the head coach of that hockey team, the former Calgary Flame, and decided to go with Kerry Price instead of veteran Yandini to start the Calder Cup playoffs. And uh, the Hamilton Bulldogs were underdogs in all four series. And, and they've got this 19-year-old goaltender, and there's a lot of pressure on him, or at least there should have been a lot of pressure on him. But, you know, he leads the Bulldogs to, to series victories over the Rochester Americans and then the Manitoba Moose and then the Chicago Wolves. And then they get to the Calder Cup final against a heavily favored and defending Calder Cup champion Hershey Bears. And before game one of that best of seven series in Hershey, there was a like a really bad electrical storm like to the point where it was raining so hard and hailing so hard that the referees were an hour late getting to the game so you think this 19 year old goaltender who you know is just weeks into his professional career and actually not even into his professional career because he was on an amateur tryout with the Bulldogs he was only 19 coming right out of junior you think he'd be nervous before game one of the Calder Cup final on the road against the defending champions what was he doing during that hour-long delay before the game started? Well, he was sleeping on the dressing room floor. So, I mean, you talk about two of the greatest goaltenders in Montreal Canadiens history. You've got Patrick Waugh on one side, an emotional guy, and you've got Carey Price on the other side. Sometimes you wonder if his heart's even beating. So I think different things work for different people. So longer story, a little bit shorter here. David Riddick is who he is. He's not going to be Carey Price. He's not going to be a guy who doesn't wear his heart on his sleeve. So you are who you are, and you've got to be the best yep. you can be, right? So he's going to be an emotional guy. So how do you channel that emotion and use it to your advantage, I think, is the question. And, and the more experience he gets, I think the better he's going to become at doing that. What he really does need, though, and maybe it, it won't happen between now and the time the Flames go to New York and, and New Jersey for three games next week, he needs to win at home. So he can get that monkey off his back and take some pressure off himself. So we'll see if he gets another start between now and then. But uh, maybe getting back on the road and, and playing in opposing buildings where he's been so good for most of the season will be just what the doctor ordered as well. But I'm a big David Riddick fan, so I hope he finds his game so the Flames have two goaltenders that they completely trust moving towards the playoffs. All right, Mr. Will, stay healthy. We will talk to you tomorrow, pal. Uh, you too, guys. Lou's Mailbag is every Friday as part of Hockey Central at noon. You can ask Peter Labardius a question. He will answer it for you. If you get your question read on the air, uh, you will be winning a great prize, a pair of lower bowl seats to an upcoming Flames game, and a $100 gift card to Ruth's Chris. Get your questions in now at sportsnet.ca slash 960. Lou's Mailbag is brought to you by Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, making celebrations unforgettable is one of their many specialties. You bring the occasion. They'll bring the perfection. Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Okay, Pinder's next up from Florida. What the heck is happening in his world? Next on Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Yeah, let's go to Southwest Florida and welcome in the one and only Ryan Pinder as we continue on Pinder and Steinberg. Hi, Pinder. How are we doing, Pat? What's going on? 
Not much, man. Not much. You know, it's been a very strange day in the sporting world. I'm not going to lie. Probably the strangest day that I can ever remember. Um, but that's why I, I'm, I'm glad I get to talk to you. Normalcy in my life. You are my rock. You are my constant. I don't know that I'm any of those things, but I am in Dead Eaton, Florida, Pat. So we can we can talk it out. We'll do our best. He said that same thing to Peter Klein last I said, hour. Uh, no, so I said some, I said something slightly different to Peter Klein about the nape of his neck and. <laughs> Missing his musk and stuff like that. That was very, it got very awkward and, and very confusing for both of us. Uh, how is uh, how is Florida, you animal? Good, man. We uh, we hopped on a flight this morning with our winners from WestJet. We have a father son duo from Halifax, a couple from Manitoba that are pregnant and super excited to be down here. Uh, a couple from Calgary, Vancouver. It's pretty cool. It's people from all across the country that are just really excited to be here. Not to mention some of the uh, Blue Jays staff, WestJet folks, and the uh, Platinum Rewards level WestJet members. So uh, we've had some fun getting down here. Everyone was excited to uh, get into the hot weather, and we're at an amazing hotel just off the water here. And uh, walked down to the park today, took a look at the new renovations. I'm telling you, it has gone from maybe the most antiquated facility in all of spring baseball in the majors into a near state-of-the-art facility uh, at uh, TD Ballpark. It's pretty cool to see the transformation. I really, it's, it's weird. Talking to Mark Shapiro about it two years ago when we chatted with him, it was like, okay, like I can see why that would be neat. And, you know, you got to find money for it and this and that. And showing up this year, you're like, yes, this is what he was talking about. This is cool. The fan experience is going to be entirely different. It really wasn't that much different from like a burn stadium pad or foothills, whatever you want to call it. Last year, like nothing unique or new, just a big, you know, cement structure with some hard plastic seats, and that's about it. But uh, they've really done a great job of bringing it into the tons. Uh, and how's the uh, how's the old WestJet flight deck? Flight deck's pretty cool. I mean, I'm excited to see it tomorrow. There was no action at the ballpark today because they had a road game and beat the Yankees 4-2 uh, in Tampa proper. Uh, but tomorrow the Orioles will come, and I mean, it's going to be it's neat to see it it's, there's a big old bar area with with tvs and it's, a, it's sort of a big square they serve from all sides and then between that and center field there's a big standing area with lots of ledges to set your you know your water or maybe your coffee on whatever your maybe it's pepto-bismol pad i don't know whatever you're drinking you can set it there and then the staggered different rows down all standing room with the I guess sort of that shelf that you can put whatever your food is or whatever you're drinking in front. So it's, they're kind of trying to replicate what I think is one of the coolest things they've done to Rogers Center in Toronto in a long time, and that's don't make it ticketed, open it up, allow people to wander there. And even if there's, you know, 22,000 on a Tuesday against an NL team that's in last place, you can always go to that one area where it's got some buzz and some energy and, uh, you know, some people having some fun. So they've replicated that here. I'm excited to see it tomorrow when the Orioles are here, and it should be a blast with our uh, good friends from WestJet because that's going to be home base for us tomorrow. That's what I like to hear. So, okay, tell us about from just a straight-up Blue Jays perspective. What are you What are you focused on? you got some position battles that you're dialed in on. Once you start watching this Jays team and, and getting around the team for a couple of days, what, uh, what are you ex- excited to watch for and excited to, to look at? Well, I think that at the beginning of camp, there was clearly a battle for who's going to be the number five pitcher. You have Hunjin Ryu, who you brought in, Rourke, Shoemaker's back and healthy, Chase Anderson was brought in in trade. Those are the four guys that have been everyday major leaguers for a while. They've established that, and Ryu's instance, much better than that. He's the ERA 
leader for the National League last year. That's a big free agent signing. But the question was, who's going to be five? You know, Trent Thornton led the team in innings last year, and that might have been a statement about how bad the Blue Jays were rather than how good Trent Thornton was. He's in the mix. Ryan Barucki was, but uh, they had to shut him down for a while, so he's still on the injured list working his way back. He's going to be behind schedule. He won't come north of this club uh, immediately. And Shun Yamaguchi was the guy they brought over from Japan who has been both a starter and a reliever in his career. And he's had a couple of really rough outings, but was actually really good today against the Yankees. That was an important development. So that was going to be a big battle, but with Baruki Hurt and Yamaguchi looking just okay and Thornton looking pretty darn strong with a, you know, a guy that's got four pitches, it seems to be Thornton's job to lose. So it really hasn't been the battle at all. And I think now what people are wondering is, what's this outfield going to look like? Like, who's playing center? What is Teoscar Hernandez? Where do you put Randall Grichik? Is Lourdes Gurriel Jr. absolutely an outfielder? He played shortstop a few years ago. So those are the most likely candidates to play out there, but you've got – Who's the extra body going to be? Is it Anthony Alford? Is that Derek Fisher who you brought in from Houston in that sanchez Biagini deal? Is Billy McKinney still a thing? What about Brandon Drury? Does he have a spot here? Or do you go maybe with a defensive specialist like Jonathan Davis who has you know outperformed a lot of the big-name prospects they've had like Alford and Fisher who came in at a high price that really doesn't have a lot of that, I guess, sex appeal to his name. But maybe you bring him in and he's a, a really strong defensive center fielder and you put him at the eight or nine hole and say, look, we don't need you to hit, do your thing, play center field. Cause really defensively, there's not a lot on this team where you're like, we know that's going to be superb. There's, there's a lot of sort of middling to just okay defenders. And it might be a spot where they elect to use a glove more than a bat. If you get what I'm saying. Pinder's with us from Florida where Blue Jays spring training is underway. Uh, just quickly, um, your uh, does anything seem different there knowing what's going on in the world right now, or is uh, it, it just as per usual? No, it's different. There's a, a media area, and you know when we work around teams that there's always a backdrop with the team logo, colors, and some sponsors or whatever. There's now sort of like those air, airport herding sort of ropes like <laughs> that's keeping people six feet away. So rather than a scrum like we always see in uh, you sidled up next to Jeff Warden or whatever the case may be. Everyone has to be removed back. And, and so we'll see that in action tomorrow. I'm going to be at the ballpark right and early, and we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's going to be very curious to see how many interactions we get because traditionally the room just opens at like 7, 7.30 in the morning, and in you go, and you chat with guys. And, you know, if you want to line up a formal interview or if you just want to BS with them, the room's just open. Well, that's not the case anymore. So, We'll see how many players they bring out. I imagine we'll get Charlie Montoya on a game day, not to mention, uh, you know, some of the other pertinent players, be it starters or, you know, maybe it's someone from this afternoon's game in Tampa that'll speak. But it's uh, – I'm curious to see how it works. But today it was, it was empty. You know, we had Jeff Blair and our good buddy Stephen Brunt broadcasting, and they did an hour sit-down with Mark Shapiro that I sat in on, which was really cool. But that was it. The rest of the ballpark was completely empty. They had guys – you know, working on the field a little bit, and that was about it. I mean, it basically was an off day in these parts. So we'll see how it's all in action tomorrow. But Shapiro talked about it at length with Brent Blair, and he was in on the, the Major League Baseball call that had one representative for every team. You know, this is a fluid situation. There is no, like, here's how it's going to be and here's how it's going to go. I mean, we don't know where this thing's going to be in a week, in a month. I mean, we've gone from, what, one or two cases in Alberta up to double digits now, and other parts of North America are clearly way more 
um, you know, at risk than where we call home. So this is going to be a situation that every team is going to have to gauge differently. And there's sort of been an interesting dialogue around beat reporters saying, well, it's not like these baseball players aren't going to get coffee anymore and aren't going to the grocery store and aren't going out for dinner. So why are we the ones that are the only ones that have limits placed on us? So I don't know where this goes, but it's, it's, uh, it's certainly uncharted territory, isn't it? No doubt. And just a comment on what we're seeing around the sporting world. I mean, uh, German league shut down. That's what the highest drawing league in Europe or one of the two or three highest drawing leagues in Europe. The Austrian league shut down uh, the situation in San Jose where there's a real possibility that they play neutral side games or play games in front of nobody. Like just uh, what, what your observations have been of what we've seen. It's just scary. We don't know where this is going. And some people will say, oh, you're overreacting. And other people will say, you have to be ahead of this to stop it from spreading so quickly, which is what makes this particular strain or virus so dangerous. It's not that it, you know, offset a high percentage of people. It's that it's so readily passed along, and it's usually before symptoms are shown. I mean, that's, that's some scary stuff. So I, I don't know what we're going to see here. But when you see Champions League matches for European football, like that's, that is some of the wealthiest franchises on earth when you're talking about Man United, Barcelona, Real Madrid, like those, that, that caliber of sporting club that we're talking billions, plural, of dollars, those games are now going. Not league play, but Champions League games are going to be played in empty stadiums that normally hold 60,000 to 80,000 people. Like that, that is a huge, huge deal. And I understand that things are very different in Italy and Spain than they are in Canada and certainly in most of the United States at this point. But I, I just think you really can't write off the, the thought that that might be what this part of the world is looking at as the virus makes its way over here. Or, or maybe we're ahead of it and we don't. But it's just it's, it's scary because we don't know. And, and I saw some people tweeting about it. Like, imagine if we get like a battle of Alberta or an Edmonton, Vancouver or a Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, like a playoff series and there's no fans there. Like that, that, that just seems so insane. And yet here we are. It's not that unrealistic at this point. Who knows? All right, buddy, get out of here. We will uh, talk to you tomorrow. Have yourself a, a great rest of your day in Florida. Thank you, sir. Yeah, will do. And, again, expect uh, some coverage and some audio outside of my hits of Boomer in the morning and yourself in the afternoon. It's all brought to you by our good friends at WestJet, the official airline of the Toronto Blue Jays. Talk tomorrow, buddy. Bye-bye. You almost have to do this on a daily basis, and that is take a run through the NHL schedule to see what type of playoff implications you've got. That's what we're doing next on Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg continues. Brought to you by Glenmore Audi on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Busy Tuesday in the NHL, as you expect, and it's kind of become a daily must that you got to go through games to see what type of playoff implications you've got on any given night, and there are a ton of them this evening. We've got some really big games. We'll start in the sure Pacific do. Division, where the Vancouver Canucks get Brock Besser back tonight. And they host the New York Islanders, who just happen to be the next opponent for the Calgary Flames. That's on Thursday night. But this is one of the two games in hand the Vancouver Canucks have on the Calgary Flames. They're three back, two in hand. So right now, they're pretty close to the Flames in terms of points percentage. But this is... They're only games in hand. They only mean something if you win them. Mm. So the Canucks have got to start winning these things. Uh, what are they? They're now, I think, they've lost something like uh, quick math. 
uh, nine of their last 15, I believe, is where the Canucks are at this point, or nine of their last 14. Uh, so Vancouver is at home to the New York Islanders. They're going to th- start Thatcher Demko against Semyon Varlamov in net. They say, like, it sure does feel like for those who cover the team in Vancouver that this is approaching must-win territory for the Canucks because for the first time they actually are using one of their games in hand on the team that they're chasing. Well, and I think you can go as far as even hearing what CJ said about Brock Besser when we asked him uh, during the 3 o'clock hour that he feels like this is a player pushing to come back to, to help his team because, look, we had heard six to eight weeks for Besser and you, you thought Vancouver was okay at that time when it's out. Well, now we're looking like it's four weeks and he's, you know, coming back into the lineup tonight. So things clearly haven't gone well. 3-6-1 and one, uh, in the last 10 for Vancouver. So when you've had a team like Minnesota come up in their 7-3 in their last 10, they've, you know, passed you for a wild card spot. Nashville's still right in this thing. And, I mean, it's not like it's an easy game tonight. Not like you can overlook the New York Islanders. They're in for a test tonight for sure. Um, I'm curious to see how Vancouver comes out in this one. And uh, if this is really desperation hockey for them, it's time to show it. Must-win territory for the Nashville Predators on the road in Montreal. They're going to go with UC Soros between the pipes against Carey Price. Uh, the Predators enter action tonight one point back of the final wild card spot in the Western Conference. However, they do have games in hand, so here's an opportunity to move past the Minnesota Wild, who are idle tonight. A win by Nashville will move them into one of the final wild card spots in the Western Conference, or one of the two wild card spots in the Western Conference. Conference. Now, there's only five points that separate these two teams, but the Preds are one point back of a playoff spot, and the Canadiens are eight points back of a playoff spot. Mm. That kind of shows you the difference between East and West this year, but yeah, you, you almost have to say this is a game the Predators have to have, and knowing how inconsistent they've been this year, I'm, I can't sit here and tell you I'm confident they're going to have this one. No, you, you, you look back to that game against the Oilers where they lost 8-3, and you're sitting there thinking, how do you let that happen at this time of year? You're such a good team with your Nashville. But I also think it's interesting, the storyline in and of itself, that UC Soros is the one making the start tonight. Uh, it really looks like it's the passing of the torch in, in Nashville from Pecorine to UC Soros. Uh, so this will be – he's just been the better goaltender this year. He started more games than Pecorine, and I think down the stretch we'll really start to see Nashville lean on him uh, in the games where they need to pick up points like tonight. Uh, going to be interesting because I, I haven't mind – Montreal all season long they you know they're not a they're not a bottom dweller team but they're certainly not an elite team either so uh, it'd be interesting for sure Nashville needs the two points tonight that I've always said the, the teams in the central are are well um, in a more difficult spot excuse me than the Pacific teams because they're less likely to catch third in that one. Good goaltending matchup in Toronto as Frederick Anderson hosts Andre Vasilevsky. Maple Leafs versus Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, Tampa is pretty much cemented into that number two spot in the Atlantic. Six back of Boston with even games played, but for Toronto, they have got the Florida Panthers breathing down their necks. Florida with a big win over the St. Louis Blues yesterday on the road. Mm-hmm. That was a huge win Louis, for Florida. Yeah. Uh, and so here's 
Here's Toronto, one up on Florida with even games played. Toronto needs this one if they want to start feeling comfortable at all for a playoff spot. That game is one of the games that kicks us off at 5 o'clock. Penguins are struggling. They're in New Jersey. I don't know if a March 10th game between Boston and Philadelphia would have been a marquee matchup when you circled it on the calendar Probably going not. back. But right now the Philadelphia Flyers have won nine in a row. They're a point back of Washington for top spot in the Metro, and they've got the Boston Bruins, the number one team overall in the NHL tonight. That is your marquee matchup, Philadelphia and Boston going toe-to-toe. I'm really excited for this game this evening. Yeah, that's the big one for me because Philadelphia has come on lately so strong, and they've surprised everyone in their division. They're right there with Washington, all things uh, considered, except for the points uh, percentage. We'll, we'll see here what happens. Boston, we know, is a legit contender. They've operated like that all season long where, you know, Philly's kind of stuck in it and then really gotten hot of late. They're going for double-digit wins tonight in a row. They'll move the win streak to 10 if they can get past Boston. Um, I, I like the Bruins, and I know the Bruins are a Stanley Cup contender. It's going to be interesting to see how the, the Flyers handle that as well, if they can prove it to be in the same, you know, Area as fear as Boston, I should say. Tuka Rask gets the start in net for Boston. It'll be Carter Hart for Philadelphia. Hurricanes need this one. They're on the road in Detroit. Carolina currently holds down the final wild card spot in the East. Even points with the New York Islanders, who for the first time are officially not in a playoff spot as it stands right now. So a huge game for Carolina. You can't drop a game against Detroit if you're in a playoff race. Rangers are hanging tight. They're trying to stay in this thing three points back. They're on the road in Dallas tonight uh, and the last game which means absolutely nothing uh, the only game that means absolutely nothing tonight in terms of playoff implications the Ducks and the Senators uh, stay healthy have yourself a wonderful rest of your Tuesday Mr. Gordon thanks buddy see you tomorrow uh, be sure to tune in every Monday for Eric Francis Monday goes from 9 till 10 o'clock Eric Francis joins Will Nault on the morning show it's all brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta the Alberta horse racing and breeding industry cares for their horses employs Albertans and contributes to the economy. Learn more at thehorses.com. Well, this COVID-19 story is changing by the hour, and same thing with how it affects the NHL. We've got the latest from our NHL insider, Chris Johnston, coming up next. This is Pinder and Steinberg moving into the Sports Drive at 5, next on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Okay, welcome to it. We have got a jam-packed and star-studded edition of the Sports Drive at 5 for you this afternoon. Pat Steinberg along with you on your drive home a little bit later on this hour. Conversation with Calgary Flames forward Derek Ryan. How he got to 300 NHL games, the winding road that he took from Spokane to Edmonton to Hungary, Austria, Sweden, Charlotte, Raleigh, and finally to Calgary. Didn't look like the NHL was in the cards for Derek Ryan, yet here he is with 300 games under his belt. Derek Ryan later on this hour. But right now, time for NHL insider Chris Johnston. Uh, CJ joining us as he does every Tuesday and Thursday on the program. And uh, we know that the German League has shut down for the season. The Austrian League is shut down for the season. We know that San Jose might have to take some measures in terms of their home games over the next couple of weeks because of COVID-19 precautions and contingency plans. And that's where we started with NHL insider Chris Johnston because this thing has gotten real. Yeah, I think it, it very much is. And, you know, I don't know where, you know, everyone's mind is at with it. I think some people maybe haven't taken it that seriously, but, you know, certainly the league is. And, you know, I think that there's a fair amount of concern there about, 
what happens next. And, and, you know, a lot of this will probably end up being at least somewhat out of their hands. You know, I've seen uh, today an uptick in some, some health officials and government uh, uh, people in certain places talking about not having gatherings, more than 5,000 people, obviously every NHL venue uh, seats more than that. And, and it does seem very likely to me that we're going to see at some point in the near future, at least some games played in empty arenas, especially uh, when San Jose gets back from the road trip, it just departed on because it doesn't seem as though they're going to be in a position to host the uh, uh, games, uh, you know, from mid-March on. So, is that something the NHL is from who you've talked to? They're open to doing that. They're I, I, obviously it's lost revenue, but it's not like there's a whole lot of other choices. They are they are open to going down that road, hey? Yeah, and I, I should be clear. I don't know for sure in the San Jose uh, situation that's been decided because. I do know they also looked at, you know, having uh, neutral site games potentially. Uh, perhaps you can play it in the arena of the team that, that's supposed to visit you. You know, there's probably some other ways that they can still do this, uh, you know, before uh, having to, to play before an empty arena. But it just seems as though with how quickly this is moving and, and some of what's coming from the government levels in various places that, that you know, at some point they, they'll probably be forced into that situation. Okay. What, what else should we be ex- not expecting like that's the wrong word because i don't think anybody knows what to expect but what else should we as media we as fans we as nhl observers what should we be prepared for as this story continues to evolve well the biggest thing that stands out to me is i think everyone should take it seriously and, and recognize that well obviously there's some inconveniences that come with whatever what's already happened in terms of changes to the media policy but even other things you know that this is part of a a much bigger thing happening around the entire globe. And we're basically a speck of dust on, on the bottom of a shoe, you know, in terms of how important this issue is. And I, and I do think that it really is up to the public's health and safety, you know, perhaps not to be gathering um, in, in buildings the way that we do for, for sporting events. So, you know, I don't really know what's going to happen next. I don't really think the league does uh, for sure either, but um, you know, I do say whatever, whatever it is, I think that people should keep perspective and on why it's happening because it is something that's, much bigger than a sport and much bigger than uh, the league or, or anything like that. Well, take us back to Saturday when you were doing some reporting on headlines, and now here we are on Tuesday. How much has this story changed, morphed, mutated since Saturday to where we are now? Well, I mean, it's it's escalated in the sense that they, they came out yesterday in Santa Clara County and said uh, what they did about the Sharks. You know, we had the governor of Ohio today, um, issue an edict about no sporting events over 5,000 people. I don't, you know, I don't know where that leaves things with the Jackets right now. Uh, I just saw on my Twitter feed before you guys phoned, you know, someone in Philadelphia has, has given a similar 5,000 person limit and, you know, the Wells Fargo Center has got a game going on tonight with the Flyers in it. So, um, you know, I, I do think it's moving pretty rapidly. I get the sense that this is basically all uh, the key people at the league and at the Players Association and, and with a lot of teams that this is all they've really been dealing with. It's trying to map out contingencies, trying to stay on top of things and, and, you know, figure out what the best course of action is. I mean, there's not a, there's not a perfect one here. Um, there's not a right and wrong. I'm certainly not being critical of the league or anything, but I do think that yeah. it's, it's still a little bit, it's still a little bit up in the air and, and um, you know, maybe closing the season down for a couple of weeks and just delaying it is the answer. Um, maybe it's playing in empty arenas. You know, I'm not sure what they're going to land on, but, I do think it's pretty clear that uh, you know some 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 things are going down here, and, and it is moving pretty quickly. 
Yeah, no doubt. It is a uh, unprecedented time in the NHL, and it's it's kind of weird to wrap your head around where this story might go. But there are actual hockey things to talk about with our NHL insider, Chris Johnston. He joins us Tuesdays and Thursdays here. My name is Pat Steinberg. His name is Logan Gordon. Uh, CJ, last week we talked on Tuesday as you were just beginning the California swing with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and the Leafs wind up with one point out of their West Coast road trip, and now they wind up uh, one point up on the Florida Panthers heading into action tonight against Tampa Bay. What's the uh, overall feel around Toronto as the, the threat of the Florida Panthers isn't going away anytime soon, it looks like? No, and I think the feel really of the team is that it was a missed opportunity to, to play three games out there. They, they, you know, One of the Leafs' struggles generally this year has been how many goals they give up. In those last two games, they allowed two goals entirely and lost. You only got one point out of four from L.A. and Anaheim. And so, you know, I think that there was some frustration with that and, and you know, missed out on a chance to, to put a little more distance between them and the Panthers. And I think you're right. It, it feels like one of these playoff races that will probably go down to the last week of the season. Florida and Toronto do have one more head-to-head meeting uh, mm-hmm. left. And, and um, you know, I think that there's a fair bit of heat. It's, it's, it's fair to say on, on the Leafs right now, just, just coming home from that trip. Um, being where they are in the standings and, and then facing a Tampa team, that's, uh, that, that's pretty good. I think the challenge is tall for them, but I think they're trying to, to focus on the positives like Morgan Riley's return to the lineup after Cody Cece came back in the last game. That they're starting to get a little healthier, and uh, they're going to need everyone because it's going to be touch and go to make the playoffs. Yeah, I was going to mention the, the Morgan Riley, definitely a boost uh, uh, on the back uh, back end for the Leafs there. But it's funny because we we talk about their opponent tonight, Tampa Bay, going to be without Victor Hedman. Any word on how serious that is? We we saw Nathan McKinnon get hurt yesterday uh, in a game against LA for Colorado, and then Connor McDavid didn't play. So uh, another potential NHL, a big piece for an NHL team, could be out for a bit here. Yeah, my sense with Hedman is that it's not too serious. Um, you know, he is traveling with the team and was, was on the ice this morning for the skate, and, and I think they're just being cautious with him. I, I don't think that you're, we're talking about a long-term type of injury and probably one of those ones, if it was a playoff game, you know, he would be playing tonight. But, you know, they have the luxury of being comfortably in a playoff spot. Uh, the, you know, the next 10 or 12 games for them are about putting themselves in the best position to be ready for the playoffs, and, uh, you know, that, that's going to see Hedman get a little bit of rest here, but I don't think he'll be out too long. Uh, one of the other NHL storylines tonight for sure, CJ, the Vancouver Canucks uh, will get Brock Besser back into their lineup. We discussed this a little bit earlier, me and Pat, uh, and it seems a little bit early for Besser to come back on this timeline. We had heard six to eight weeks he was out Feb 8th, so we're talking just about a month uh, for him to return. What do you make of him coming back into the lineup? We, I wonder about maybe desperation for the Canucks who are going through some tough times, and then Jacob Markstrom back skating with the team. Not sure that he'll rush it with the UFA status and a potential big contract coming up for himself in the summer. Well, with Besser, I, I do think that what it is is an athlete pushing to be back and, and wanting to be part of the battle with his team. You know, the Canucks have gone through a difficult stretch here. Uh, you know, haven't been able to put many points in the bank. They've seen their own playoff cushion uh, disappear uh, as a result. And, and so, you know, it might be on a little bit on the early end for him, but, you know, I would think that that's, that, that's coming from the player more than anything, that, that he wants to play and, and do what he can to help his team out. And, you know, they, they, they struggled a little bit to score goals here the last little stretch. So I think that uh, certainly he's someone who can, can do that and jumping back in a lineup. And I bet uh, his effort will be well received in the dressing room just by the other players who know that uh, he's pushing to get back and join them. You know, I, I don't know 
exactly where Markstrom stands at this point. Uh, I would think, you know, even with UFA status, that, that he will push it, though. I believe he, he might have had an option of two surgeries, one that would have kept him out longer and the one he ended up going through uh, with a shorter recovery time. And so, you know, I, I do think that, that he wants to, to do whatever he can to help the Canucks, but obviously, yeah, physically, especially with your goaltender, I think you've you got to be, be careful and uh, be mindful that they're ready before throwing them back in there in these big games. One more on the uh, on the Canucks. What are you hearing on Markstrom, and not so much from a contract standpoint, but more so a return standpoint? The Canucks announced today that he has started skating. Like, is this is this something that could be imminent for Vancouver getting their MVP back here? Well, I certainly think he'll be in there as soon as he can, and and obviously this is the next step being on the ice. But you know, with a knee injury and the way a goaltender moves, you know, I think it, they've, they've got to be careful, and I'm sure they will be careful that. You know, just because he's back skating doesn't mean he's playing in three days or something like that. I do think that there's still a process that he's got to go through to, to get himself uh, to, to health. And, and, you know, goalies tend to struggle a little bit more than players with knee injuries just because of how they go down the crease and they're, uh, they're, they're bending their movements and those types of things. So, so I think it's a positive sign for, for Vancouver. But, you know, I think it should also be pointed out, even though they've been losing, you know, Patrick Demko's played pretty well for them, especially the last three or four games here. And that. And, and so it maybe takes some of the, the pressure off, if you want to call it that, to, for Markstrom to rush back. But uh, obviously they'll welcome his return when he does because I think he was a big reason why they had built up a six- or seven-point playoff cushion uh, at the time he got injured. With Chris Johnston, our NHL insider, Tuesdays and Thursdays here on Pinder and Steinberg. Uh, where where are you on these playoff races right now? Uh, I know Logue's asked you about where the Maple Leafs are and, and with Florida now knocking on the door with a huge win over St. Louis yesterday. Like, things are tight in both conferences right now. Uh, players have said that this is the tightest they've ever seen it. They've never seen anything quite like this before, but I'm curious as to your observations as to where these races are. Well, it feels like really that there's not a lot of separation between teams. You know, even some of the really good teams, of which, you know, I had Pittsburgh as one of those, you know, has gone through a, a pretty tough struggle here the last, you know, week or two uh, and, and dropped a lot of games and, and you know, have Sidney Crosby calling tonight's game a must-win for them. Um, you know, I, I, it just seems that that, that that parody word is real. I don't think that it's, it's something the league just throws out there. I, I, you know, I think that we're going to see some – uh, surprises, you know, when it comes to the playoffs, as we did last year in the first round, a few teams uh, like the Islanders and the Hurricanes had success that, that I don't think most people uh, would have expected them to in the first round. And it just, to me, comes down to the fact that uh, we, we don't have a, a huge separation in, in how the teams perform. And so, you know, the playoff races for sure are going to go down to the last day of the season. I, I don't really see any way around it just because there's so many teams involved and uh, it shifts from night to night. And so, you know, for me, it's, it's exciting. I, I don't. I'm not a huge fan of uh, the the three point games at times. I'm not a, a huge fan of the, the divisional playoff format. But you can't really argue with the results in terms of producing some of the the excitement um, that that it does. Uh, you know, right now. So, what about the? Excuse me. What do you? What about the NHL? Is is this? Is this something that the NHL, from a three point game standpoint? Do they like this? Do they like the fact that so many teams are in the race and playing relevant hockey right down to the wire? They definitely do, you know, because uh, it, it is exciting. I mean, if you're a fan of a team, you're watching the standings every day. You know, if you're one of the teams on the bubble and you're watching all the out-of-town games, I mean, I, I think that, that there's some positives to that. I just don't always know if if, if the way the, the format is is the most fair. Um, you know, I think that 
if you're doing three-point games, it should be three points for a regulation win, and then you could do two-and-one uh, split for, for overtime or shootout wins, what have you. But, um, you know, that would create more of a, a gap between teams, and I think it would, um, you know, probably not have the playoff races seem as close as they feel right now. And let's face it, part of that appearance is what the league is selling. It's selling, um, you know, the stretch drive right now. So, you know, I, I don't think at the NHL level there's any – any distaste at all for this. I, I think that they, they're pretty comfortable with the divisional playoff format even. Um, you know, I, it, just if I was in charge, I'd, I'd probably do things a little differently. Yeah. It's, uh, so what, what was your do – you, have you come up with the Chris Johnston solution? Is there a, Does CJ have his NHL 2.0 and, and how he would roll it out? Well, I would probably make a Canadian division, but there's travel issues and all this stuff in that one. But, you know, one thing I, I think that worked better than what we have now is just one day eight in each conference. I think – is, is a little bit more fair. And, you know, I, I, when you have a division with two or three of the best teams in the league in it, it it's just, it's, it's, it seems to me that that's not really the best way to reward those teams for their performance in regular season is make them then have to play the third best team in the league or, or what have you, as we've seen with Boston and Tampa the last couple of years, uh, you know, over in the Atlantic division. So, you know, I, I, I like the, 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 the format for divisional play or for conference playoffs one day, um, you know, the, the, the counter argument to that that the league would come up with is, you know, you, you get more Pittsburgh Washington series by doing it this way. You're going to get hopefully at some point a battle of Alberta because of this, because uh, you know, the, the teams that are playing in the same division then have to play each other for the first two rounds. But I just think that you're sort of artificially creating that uh, matchup a little bit. And um, you know, again, I, I'm not, I don't I don't, this isn't a huge platform item for me, but I do <laughs> find at times that, that, uh, I just don't like the way you know what it what it results in, uh, but I should stress that they they don't seem to have any issue with it at the league level. CJ joins us on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and we have got a ton to talk about, whether it be on the ice or at this point, more importantly, off the ice with what is happening across the country, across the continent, and across the globe. Pat Steinberg along with you as we continue on the Sports Drive at 5, and our old-school playoff pool is back. Another year at the Palace where you can go to sportsnet.ca slash 960 right now, register your team of eight there are limited spots available and uh, you can come on down to the palace have some drinks with us have some mug shots wings and try to pick the best possible playoff squad uh, it's all brought to you by Wild Rose Brewery, brewing quality craft beer in Calgary that fuels the hardworking Albertan. Wild Rose Brewery, branded with character. The date is April 6th. The info at sportsnet.ca slash 960. Really excited for our next conversation. Flames forward Derek Ryan around the corner, and he's going to give us the rundown on an extremely unique road to the NHL and a very winding path to 300 NHL games. Derek Ryan of the Calgary Flames joins us next on the Sports Drive at 5. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Just recently, 300 NHL games for our next guest, Derek Ryan of the Calgary Flames. A really cool accomplishment for a guy who didn't play his first NHL game until the age of 29. From Spokane to Calgary with stops along the way in Edmonton, Hungary, Austria, Sweden, Charlotte, and Raleigh, it's time to go inside hockey. Inside Hockey, brought to you by Calgary Co-op. At Calgary Co-op, you'll find the best products from Western Canada down every aisle. Visit your local Calgary Co-op for the best from the West. 
Flames forward Derek Ryan joined us earlier today, and I asked him the simple question that uh, 300 NHL games now in the books, and he's had a little time to reflect on that and how it feels now. Since the game, I've talked to um, a couple of family members and friends and just reflected briefly on how cool the journey has been. Um, obviously, I've talked about it a lot, and it gets talked about a lot, my journey to be in just in the NHL and and now to play 300 games is pretty spectacular. It's, it's amazing. And um, sometimes I just have to pinch myself and realize how lucky I am to have worked my way to be where I am now. And and um, it's just been a pretty fun journey. Yeah, a lot of hard work, a lot of lucky bounces. And uh, here's the 300 more games, hopefully. Yeah, no doubt. Well, it, okay, so it all started for you in Spokane, Washington. You're a Spoke guy, uh, played three years with the Chiefs there. So tell tell us about growing up and playing hockey in Spokane, Washington. How big a deal is the Western League there? How big is hockey in uh, in eastern Washington? Yeah, you know, I'd consider it probably a smaller hockey market growing up, playing minor hockey, um, a lot different than my son experiences now is in as a Timbit in Calgary where, you know, they have many, many teams nearby just in the city that he can play. Whereas when I was growing up in Spokane, in order to get any decent competition, my parents were traveling, you know, across the border into Cranbrook, uh, Penticton, Kelowna, even Calgary and Edmonton just to get some, some decent competition. So driving around a lot and uh, growing up, the, the Chiefs were the, the big ticket in town and as a young hockey player I just I mean the the Chiefs were the NHL to me there weren't many Spokane guys really making it to many high levels of hockey so when I had the opportunity after playing for the Spokane Braves in the KIJHL for a couple of years I had the opportunity to play for the Chiefs and kind of fulfill a childhood dream of playing for the local Western Hockey League team and there's a lot of support for the Chiefs within the hockey community in Spokane. And it was a pretty big deal for a Spokane guy to get the opportunity to play there. So, like I said, it was almost uh, an NHL experience for me just playing at home. Uh, it was really cool and special that I was able to live at home during my junior hockey career and uh, spend a little more time with mom and dad and, and help me grow up a little bit. And um, it was fun. I really enjoyed my time in Spokane. And, um, yeah, I really cherish those memories for sure. So was the NHL on your radar at that time? Like, was that the goal you were working towards? I mean, every hockey player, no matter what age, dreams of playing in the NHL. And that's kind of something that was, I don't know if it was on the radar. If it was on the radar, it was pretty far away. And um, I think in my first year, I was I was an 18-year-old rookie, and I ended up being Western Conference Rookie of the Year or something like that. And and um, I think at that point was the first time I realized that, hey, maybe, you know, NHL teams might take notice. Maybe I'll have a chance to go to camp and and maybe play in the NHL. Um, obviously didn't happen right away. And uh, there was kind of the time in the NHL where they were drafting more bigger and stronger guys. And a smaller skilled guy like myself was overlooked pretty quickly and easily. So didn't work out that I got drafted or really had any NHL interest or opportunities throughout my junior career. And then after my 20 year old year, wasn't really an option either. So at that point it was basically whether or not I wanted to go play minor pro somewhere, you know, East coast league, the American league wasn't really an option either. And uh, I didn't really want to do that. Didn't want to waste my 
scholarships that I'd earned through the Western Hockey League and uh, realized that getting that, I may as well use it. And education had always been pretty important to me. My parents had stressed that on me at a young, early age. So was trying to find a, a good place to go to school and uh, <clears throat> ended up making the decision to go to Edmonton, one of the winningest uh, Canadian university hockey programs. And it happened to be relatively close to Spokane, closer than going out east somewhere like Moncton or UNB or another program like that. And uh, so, yeah, that was a, a tough decision, but we ended up making what I would say or my dad would say the best hockey decision we ever made, which was to go to the U of A and, and get a degree there and play four years there. So was it was that a hockey-based decision or was that an education-based decision? I mean, I guess probably could have been both, but what, what drove that yeah. decision for you? A little bit of both. Um, whenever you're making a big decision like that, there's a lot of factors that go into it. Hockey was probably the number one part of it. I wanted to go somewhere and and win, have a chance to win. Uh, my time in Spokane, we were we were okay, but for a couple of years we weren't very good. I think we made the playoffs only two out of my four years, and I was just you know thirsty and hungry for winning hockey. And don't have to look much farther than the U of A to have uh, some winning hockey and Canadian University hockey, anyways. So. That was a big part of it. Um, obviously, the U of A is one of the best schools in the country, one of the best schools in the world, really. And uh, so that was part of it. Uh, like I mentioned before, being somewhat close to Spokane, um, my family was able to come and visit me a couple times a year and, and watch me play. That was part of it. Um, so there's a lot of different variables that go into a decision like that, but you kind of try and look at the big picture and weigh all the options. And um, that was just where our gut was telling us to go. With Derek Ryan of the Calgary Flames, 300 NHL games in the book and just kind of going through the journey to get Derek to the NHL. So four years U of A, and, and you said the, the best hockey decision that you've ever made. So then how, how does the Austrian League and a trip to Hungary go? How does, how does mm -hmm. that pop onto your radar? Yeah, I mean, just wrapping up my university career, um, finishing my degree in four years, and basically coming to a crossroads there where it's a decision of whether, um, you know, quote unquote, I'd like to join the real world and get a real job or continue to play hockey somewhere. And I had a, quite a bit of success at the university level. So I wanted to play hockey somewhere at a pro level and, and um, see if I could make something work in that regard. So um, again, the U of A being a great decision, a lot of networking there. Uh, one of the coaches in the Austrian league, which is a pretty good opportunity coming out of Canadian University. It's a, it's a good jump. It's a good league where you can solidify yourself as a European pro. And the coach of the Hungarian team in the Austrian League was a U of A alumni and basically was just reaching out to uh, U of A networking and trying to find a player to bring in for the next uh, next season. And, you know, I got some good reviews from my coach at the U of A at the time, Eric Thurston, and – um I think it was kind of between myself and Chad Clawson, so it could have gone either way. And I ended up getting the job and um, going to going to Hungary in the first year of my professional hockey career and the first year of my marriage as well. 
So you're newly married, and now you're going to live in uh, in Hungary. So that like that had to be a crazy experience because you're f- way far east of the rest of the teams in the Austrian league, and here you are yep. playing in a in a brand new country. Like, what is what is the Hungarian hockey experience like for a newlywed playing his first professional <clears throat> year? You know what? It was actually pretty neat. So I think it was at the right point in our lives where we could make the most of it like i said we were newly married first second year marriage and um pretty young at this time too 24 25 years old and really just looking for a great experience we're able to experience a different culture that most people don't get to experience and um the city that we lived in was 45 minutes outside of budapest so we ended up spending a lot of time, a lot of off days or whatnot in Budapest, which is a beautiful, amazing city. Um, <clears throat> able to travel around quite a bit into Vienna and Austria. And yeah, just a really cool experience where we got to travel the world and experience my first year of professional hockey and kind of had a lot of success on the ice and had a lot of fun off the ice too, just experiencing new things that most young married couples don't get to experience. Well, I know that, and, and then you went off for, so where were you playing the two years in Austria? Yeah, so then we moved into Austria. The city was called Filok, which is about, I don't know, two and a half hours south of Salzburg, about three and a half hours south of Munich, and um, really beautiful area. The house we had was in right in this, the Austrian Alps, 20 minutes from Italy, uh, beautiful little spot. So, and I, I remember you were, uh, I was listening to your interview with Willsie, Derek Wills, on one of our pregame shows recently, and basically you, you said that, you know, you're, you're basically outside of Italy. You can pop into Italy whenever you want to go. Like, you, that, that, had to be, that had to be a pretty cool lifestyle thing for you, too. Yeah, it was awesome. Like I said in that interview, I could come home from practice, you know, looking to have lunch and I could say, Hey honey, you want to go to Italy and have some pizza for lunch? We could pop over to Italy, you know, 20 minutes away. Uh, we were 20 minutes from Slovenia. Uh, one of the hidden gems in Europe, I think really beautiful, awesome country with some cool cities and a lot of exploring to do. So like I said, it was just a really cool experience to be able to travel around and see all these different cool places in Europe while getting paid to play hockey. I mean, does it get any better than that? Yeah. What and then and then one year in Sweden. Uh, just just tell us about the European hockey experience in terms of the actual on ice product and and being in the arenas and that type of stuff. What's what's it like playing in in Europe? It's, it seems like a completely different world to what we're used to over here. Yeah, the experience is. I like to compare it to like a soccer European soccer league where the fans are pretty animate, um, energized throughout the game. A lot of them are standing, kind of jumping, chanting. They have the scarves that they they spread out in their arms, and they have the drums right above the bench. And it's just a really cool, loud environment. Uh, they're really passionate and and just really make it a cool experience. So it was awesome. It was, it was loud in Austria. It was loud in Sweden. Um, obviously, the hockey in Sweden was top-notch, one of the best hockey leagues in the world. And the fans there were, were animate as well, and it's just cool to play in those loud, kind of, uh, you know, rambunctious buildings. A couple more with Derek Ryan of the Calgary Flames. How did you come back to North America? How did that materialize in a chance with the Carolina Hurricanes organization? 
Yeah, so this my whole journey in Europe, the, the NHL was never really on my radar much at all. I was solidifying myself as a, a European pro and like I said, we were living a pretty good life. We're traveling around and making decent money and the NHL wasn't really on the radar until I had that year in Sweden, which I said was, you know, it's one of the top leagues. It's pretty highly scouted by by NHL scouts. There's a lot of young Swedes that are going to be drafted or already drafted in that league. And I ended up having probably my most pivotal year in my hockey career where I led the league in scoring. I uh, was given the golden helmet for the, the league MVP in the regular season and just had a fantastic year and it was about halfway through that year where my agent was starting to get calls from different NHL teams that were interested in, in bringing me in and um, <clears throat> and even at that point you know with the NHL teams that were interested it was it was kind of a hard decision we we had a pretty good life in Europe and it would have been it was a significant pay cut to come back and and play in North America and the American Hockey League anyways because I I knew I'd have to take a two-way contract and kind of work mm-hmm. my way up. But I just remember having a couple of conversations with my agent and a couple with my wife, and um, both of them kind of reiterated that, you know, if I want to play in the NHL, this is my my one opportunity. So I decided to kind of grab the bull by the horns and come back, take a pay cut, and come play in the American Hockey League and try and claw my way up to uh, the NHL, the best league in the world. When did so when did it become a reality for you that holy crap like I've been I've been going through all these different spots and and you know I've taken a pretty winding road the NHL might actually been on be on the table here when did that first kind of hit you Well my first year I spent pretty much the whole year in the American League I didn't get called up till March uh, I played a handful of games I think six games had a couple goals um but the NHL I mean at that point yeah, after after those six games, I guess I was, in my own head anyways, considered myself able to play in the NHL. Um, there's a lot more that goes into it to be able to play in the NHL. You have to be in the right place at the right time and get the right opportunities. So I don't think it was until that next year where I spent most of the year in the NHL and um, at that point kind of solidified my role. I was playing really well. I was playing on the third line in Carolina. Uh, with Jeff Skinner and Lee Stempniak for most of the year and just had a lot of success and felt like, yeah, okay, the NHL is is where I I belong. I can play here and I can make something of this. Two final ones. One fun one. I know you were contemplating other things at different times. It was pharmacist. That's that's what you were that's the the road you were going down if if hockey didn't work out. Yeah, so I graduated the U of A with a science degree in uh, human physiology, which is basically a stepping stone. Well, a lot of students use it as a stepping stone to medicine or dentistry or pharmacy, and and uh, pharmacy was what I was thinking of heading in that direction, anyways. And then the final thought for you, and it's it's kind of a serious question, but just because you played there, uh, I'm just I'm just curious your thoughts and and maybe your reflections on playing in Austria, knowing that just as their playoffs are starting, they've shut down the league for the season. Just uh, d- does that does that hit you any harder? Just knowing that you played there for three years. Yeah, I just saw that. I don't know a couple hours here before I called in. Um, have a couple of friends that I played with or played against that are still playing there and and saw that they, yeah, they canceled the rest of the playoffs. And um, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I don't quite know what to make of 
of all this. It's pretty wild. Um, obviously, they're taking things really seriously over there. And um, I don't know. I kind of feel bad for the players to battle all year long like that and then just have your season end kind of on a – not even a sour note, just a weird kind of, okay, I guess we're going home, the season's over note. So, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of strange. Yeah. Appreciate the time, Derek. I really do. I know it's uh, a practice day and uh, you have the rest of your afternoon free, so I really do appreciate you taking 15 uh, minutes out with us to to spend that time. That was a really cool story. Congratulations on the 300 NHL games. Here's to 300 more, and good luck Thursday against the New York Islanders. Yeah, thanks, Pat. No problem. That is Derek Ryan of the Calgary Flames. Joined us a little earlier today. Recently got to 300 NHL games. Thought it was a a good time to kind of go through the journey to the NHL. A great story and now a big-time member of this Calgary Flames team. He was our guest on Inside Hockey. Inside Hockey brought to you by Calgary Co-op. Make it a Wine Wednesday or any day of the week at Calgary Co-op Wine Spirits Beer, where there's always an expert on hand to help. Busy night in the NHL, important night in the NHL. We'll give you all the latest and what you need to know next as the Sports Drive at 5 continues on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back to the program. Pat Steinberg along with you from the Scotiabank Saddledome. Get you up to date as to what's happening on the NHL ice right now. We've got some crucial games when it comes to the playoff picture, including the Toronto Maple Leafs needing a win at home to the Tampa Bay Lightning. So far, so good. William Nylander has his 31st of the season, and the Maple Leafs lead the Tampa Bay Lightning 1-0. Why is this game so important? Well, Maple Leafs are only one up on the Florida Panthers, who suddenly are playing some decent hockey. They've won back-to-back games. Leafs at 79 points. Panthers with 78 points, even games played. So if the Maple Leafs lose tonight, the Panthers will be one back with a game in hand, and that's for the third and final playoff spot in the Atlantic Division. Maple Leafs up on the Tampa Bay Lightning, one nothing after 20 minutes of play. Big game for Nashville. You have to consider this one pretty close to a must-win for the Predators as they're on the road in Montreal. Preds are one point back of the final wildcard spot in the Western Conference. They are scoreless with Montreal after 20 albeit they outshot the Canadiens 14-7 in the opening frame. Uh, Evan Rodriguez for Pittsburgh, Nikita Gusev for New Jersey. That game is tied 1-1 after 20 minutes of play. They're calling this a must-win for the Penguins, who have lost eight of their last 10 games all in regulation and have fallen five back of Philly, six back of Washington for number two and number one in the Metropolitan Division, respectively. So they're calling it a must-win in Pittsburgh, and they're currently tied 1-1 with the Devils after 20 minutes of play. Our marquee matchup this evening is in Philadelphia with the Flyers and the Boston Bruins tied 1-1. Philadelphia, nine straight wins, and they're trying to track down Washington Idol tonight for top spot in the Metro. A Philly win will be their 10th straight and will put them into sole possession of top spot in the Metropolitan Division. Uh, They've got the NHL's number one team, the Boston Bruins. Good first period. Watch a good chunk of it here. Scoreless after 20 minutes of play. And you have to, much like we considered that Nashville game, a must win for the Predators in Montreal, even more so for Carolina on the road in Detroit. They're midway through the first period against the Red Wings and scoreless. Why is that a must win well 
Detroit's the worst team in the NHL by a country mile. And the Carolina Hurricanes are tenuously holding on to a playoff spot. They are tied with the New York Islanders at 79 points, each holding down or each tied for that final wild card spot in the Eastern Conference. The Islanders are in action later tonight. They're on the road in Vancouver as Brock Besser makes his return for the Canucks. Also later this evening, Rangers try to keep their playoff hopes alive on the road in Dallas and uh, a game that means nothing, Ducks and Ottawa Senators. That game goes at 8 o'clock. We know that COVID-19 is what everyone is talking about and we are talking about it in terms of how it relates to sports. But in reality, um, we're not really the best authority for actually what's going on. The best authority for what's going on is 660 News. Surf on over there or roll your dial on over there for all the latest on COVID-19 worldwide and more importantly how it affects you as the Albertan and you as the Canadian. That'll do it for the Sports Drive at 5 and Pinder and Steinberg. We'll be back tomorrow from the Scotiabank Saddledome. For Riley Pollock, our outstanding producer, and for Logan Gordon, my name is Pat Steinberg. Writer's Block is next. That'll do it for uh, Pinder and Steinberg in the Sports Drive at 5 on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.